Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. The movies are back. <laughs> movies are back again. So it's come to this is going back to the movies. It's kind of funny because the movies went away. They came back. Everyone went on strike, and they had to come back again. They and came this back. This is this is the movies back a second time. We're back. I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. This is a movie podcast. I was trying to think. Tonight we're doing Iron Claw. The Iron, the Claw. Iron Claw. I've been waiting for the Iron Claw. Since this movie was announced. I've been hyped. Oh, man. I was trying to think the other day. Our, our movie schedule has changed. Our lives are yeah. different from... This podcast has now been going on so long. <laughs> Hundreds of episodes. Years. Yeah. Of scheduling. I'm that, amazed we've done as well as we have, I can't honestly. believe it. It's, it seems unreal, right? Yeah. And we used to go to movies all the time. Third Street was an option. You did not have, like, a literal baby. You know, man, we've grown <laughs> that, up. That dude messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> that little dude. He's not old enough to get dragged to the latest pro wrestling feature, right? But yeah. So we used to cover a lot of new releases. We'd see anything. We're sickos, yeah. right? And how I was, things are so different now. I was trying to think, what's the last new release we prioritized? Had to be Bo is Afraid. It's Bo, yeah, I was thinking about that earlier myself, because I think this might be the first time since <laughs> Bo is Afraid that <laughs> I was in a movie theater. You ventured out, right, I man? I went to the movies, yeah. That was a half a that's year how, ago, That's right? how my year's been going. Ooh, this, this is long time in the But uh, I made a real priority out of Bo is Afraid, and I stand by that. And, uh, it was the right decision. I don't know if we saw that before we did our Once Upon a Time Oh, uh, around the same time. It's about the, around the same time. You made April, it out a couple March, times April. in a month and have That's been right. hibernating. Busy month. And, <laughs> and yeah. then I came back to, uh, yeah, what, uh, three days after Christmas to go see the Iron Claw by myself on a Thursday afternoon because I couldn't make it out to the Wednesday we were supposed to go I together. know, man. It's perfect, though. I'm so glad you prioritized <laughs> this. The second this movie was announced, this puts me in a unique position of one of the few movies that can be released into a theater where I know all about this thing. You could have written this movie, it sounds like, from what we've been, we've been talking about this a little bit. Now. My worlds do not often collide. Mm-hmm. There's not many pro wrestling movies. For a sport that has been so big in our country, dating back 80-plus years, right, we don't get a lot of dramatizations yeah. of pro wrestling, let alone one's... Made by studios that we like. That's right. I, a big I know, name, I serious production. Somehow I didn't know this was an A twenty four thing when I saw those. When I saw that logo come up at the beginning, I was like, "Of course." No, you went into the theater not knowing this was A twenty four. I love know. it. I love it. I just knew my boy Zach was looking sweaty in the previews, and I had to go see it. <laughs> I was. That's all. That's literally all I knew. So, but I knew it was a real based on a real story. You know, I knew that you would know everything about it. Yeah, which is true. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, that's, wrestling that's fans are like wrestling fans are not a people that 
the the sane ones don't go out broadly advertising mm-hmm. that they're wrestling fans. It's it's an open secret, you know, to for such a thing that's beloved and so, so shockingly sustainable as a form of entertainment. It's incredible how long it's it's lasted, right? For a thing that I would not want to like be having too loud of a discussion with anybody <laughs> at work about how much I love pro wrestling, right? Absolutely. It is a stigmatized hobby. Well, and even walking into the theater, like you and like Tim and all the other guys, like there had to be a little bit like mm-hmm. four for Iron Claw. Yeah. Right? <laughs> then we're like right next to the claw poster doing the like claw pose, you know. Just take like, a picture of my friend doing we the came claw. dressed up like uh, the Freebirds at uh in our confederate sequin robes like of course obviously we dressed up to go see the sure they did it for barbie i was in my yeah the girls got to wear their hot pink mini dresses for barbie and you show up in your stars and bars glitter robe and everyone freaks i can't believe it i went to the matinee (laughs) showing wearing the carrie von eric short robe Mm -hmm. above my bright yellow trunks and i had to talk to the manager People complain, and, you know, they just don't understand it, right? Being a wrestling fan is not a thing that you go about yeah. advertising, right? It's tough to pull off as a to be thought of as, like, a smart person who's also like, oh, I've watched thousands of hours of pro wrestling in my life, and I still have thousands to come. That's a, See, it's now sick. I will say, that's a lot. That is a lot. To yeah. the average person, when you use the word thousands, yeah, you're stepping into a territory there. Uh, I was the kid that you know grew up watching wrestling and enjoying it. Yeah. Until my dad was like, "No more." Yeah. And then a few years later, get back you into dip it. Dip the toe in, and you like it in high school. And well, it helped like during high school that you could like throwing out the crotch chops. Exactly. And, like stunners. Was wrestling prime. was never bigger than when yeah. you were in like high school. And I love the uh, video games. Oh yeah. Right. And 64 I think we had, had some, some dolls. Right. Classics. We, you know, it's like. Uh, but to think, yeah, as a 40-year-old man now, I'm not watching thousands of hours of pro yeah. wrestling. But I'm also, you know, collecting laser discs. So who am right. I to judge? We're all guys who fall. We all have to pick a thing. Exactly. You know, we all pick a thing. Most men pick like sports or meat sure. or cars. We're going with the you know the history yeah. of an obscure niche the the best the, the best American is like culture. the breed us like our kind of guy where we like we all get to choose like a couple things yeah like we have we we're guys with like more than one thing right like my dad has my dad's got we're all got great collections of guys no mm-hmm. guy is exactly the same my dad likes you know NASCAR but also antique bottles. Absolutely. You know, just at some point he's like, I'm an antique bottle guy. <laughs> and all of our vacations are going to like other bottle collectors' homes and going into that one carpeted room in the house where it's like, here's my bottles. That's, that's pretty we, cool. That's what we do. Yeah. Like that's not that different to just swingers. No. Except there's there's no not like a sex room. It's just like here's my old bottle room. Well, how many garages and basements do you see now get turned into the the sports right. bar exactly place where I watch my football. Like if you've got a room dedicated to an activity, oh, I guarantee you're a nerd. If if we lived in a region of the country that had basements, yeah, my basement would be full of like the same all of the dumb shit that is now just crowding every room of <laughs> of my home. You know, because because we have those things as guys, and yeah, yeah, wrestling. Like, of course, I watched as a kid, and then it's just one of those things that my parents probably thought they escaped it. When I stopped watching it when I was like 12. 
Yeah. But then Stone Cold was hitting stunners. Mm-hmm. Crotches were getting chopped. Every generation has that spike, has that star. Yeah. I mean, the biggest movie star in the world is a former wrestler, Dwayne. His name is Dwayne. Dwayne, I mean, yeah. He's like guy, the biggest yeah. movie star in the world. And yeah, I just think it's funny how transferring that to cinema, to film, <laughs> to movies, to, to what we're talking about here. You can't go a year or two without like a college football, like sports movie or something. Of course. And so I think I I love how it's like this was a huge thing in Texas at the time, just like high school football, college football. And some things translate into like this is the American thing, like a hamburger and Coke. (laughs) Yeah. And some stuff, some stuff is like just as popular, maybe, or or, uh, essential to its community. And it gets the kind of like once a decade. Oh, man. We'll give you the troubled wrestler movie. The wrestling. That's what you get. <laughs> well, like <laughs> wrestling is is for freaks, man. Wrestling's freak show stuff, right? I know this. Like wrestlers are like wrestlers are insane. Mm-hmm. Like every wrestler has got to be the craziest man. It's an insane thing to do. You know, we were watching. We watched a shit ton of Tejas. World class wrestling. We were just today, catching up right? onto the real deal. Yeah, it's interesting to watch this movie for me, not knowing really the Von Erich story. Yeah. Uh, or this or, is bringing uh, one of the, the greatest wrestling tragedy to the masses of people oh, that don't know this. Tragedy. This is a Shakespearean level tragedy of a family that loses all but one of its sons, and apparently there were six total. Yeah. And this movie only. Gets time to show five. I mean, this movie. We the don't Von even Eric get story all is so, the sun deaths. It's so tragic. They had to to remove a son from the script. That they're <laughs> like, we can't. Story. We can't do another dead son. Yeah, that's too many dead sons. You know, when like ABC was pitching a show, sister, sister, sister. <laughs> at some point, somebody had to stand up and say, "That's Guys, too many sisters." Work. Well, in this in this movie is you know a movie is a three act thing usually, so you have three acts of each brother dying in this movie. You couldn't <laughs> yeah, have a fourth brother that could. messes up the whole People, order. It's too hard. <laughs> this story is so the Von Erich story is so unbelievable that it had to be like you know scaled back to make it a movie. Yeah, it's not the story that has to be embellished. Like, and he survived this bear attack. Like, oh, shit. Like, Dude, instead, they had to be like, we got to take some stuff out. That's of another. Well, The Revenant uh, is nothing on the real story of what that dude went through. Right. It's insane. Impossible what Hugh survival. Did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, nothing like the movie. And this, that's a good comparison. Because I was trying to think of other movies where it's like it couldn't compare to the real story because it's you too couldn't, insane. You could not make a, a real a thing so harrowing to describe this man's. Uh, yeah. You know, it takes. We love our, our human torture, physical. You know, like uh, what was that one with Hal Holbrook? The oh, whole yeah. Time rituals, just, right? Rituals. Just like these boys are miserable. Mm-hmm. This is the worst movie to go. How do you explain this to your family? You're going off and you're like, oh, yeah, no, we made we may die filming this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody's going to see it. Like, yeah. it, what is, what's the drive? And, if, but if any wrestling story could be adapted to something that, like, you're, you guys are going to want to watch this. This is so unbelievable. Everybody who never watches a second of wrestling is going to want to hear this story. But wrestling movies, historically, not, like, treated as high drama. Hmm. There's there's not tons of... You said maybe once every 10 years. For a thing that so many people watch, 
and has been on TV since the advent of television. Yeah. Wrestling program. And it's such a part of TV, too. Like, that thing's on three nights a week. Yeah. Like On you, major stations. Yeah. you get, and, and I remember growing up, it was the same way. It was like, we probably just started watching it because it was on all the time. Yeah. And they would show it on Saturdays after the cartoons. And it was such a part of the culture. And you had the action figures and the plushie dolls and the video games at the arcade and stuff. Yeah. But for some reason, it just never crossed over into that, like, Americana. Right. Like, well, it's still like this kind of thing. black sheep. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, I just some... find it such an interesting thing to, to, almost on like a, to study it. Like, what happened here where this dramatic sport is relegated to the second tier where we get again a boxing movie every we get we've got three creed movies <laughs> the spin-off to the rocky series that had six already there's like nine movies in that series about one fake boxer yeah and this is about a real wrestling family with all these real characters and you've got Rick Flair in this movie and you've got all these people you're t- yeah like you were talking about these real dudes who are just, they all deserve their own movie. Each brother in this movie seems like he deserves his own movie. This is Kevin Von Erich's story. Zach Efron is Kevin. Yeah. Obviously, it's told from his point of view, it feels like. Because he's we the see only the one other left. brothers interacting with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, the survivor telling the story of the plane crash, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's from Kevin's point of view. He, this movie is so impressive in a lot of ways just because, again, you know, wrestling movies, nobody's nobody's spending serious money on a prestige wrestling movie. Mm-hmm. When The Wrestler came out, what, 09? That's got to be the last one I can remember that's like a true, like, in the ring about a wrestler kind of movie. Yeah, right? that's the first, that's probably the first movie where pro wrestling was treated as like, this is a job that somebody could have. This is a slice of life. Mm-hmm. This is no different than a guy pulling construction, working down at the docks, right? This is a Bon Jovi song. In a movie, the guy just happens to be a, a pro wrestler. Right. The every right? man. The, you know, a guy who was a big star. And then this is the kind of a lot of grim after look at him riding at his career as a Northeast indie yeah. uh, former star. Right. I remember the time wrestling fans are so dumb. We're all so stupid. <laughs> right. And at the time when the wrestler comes out, we'd never experienced a, a thing about wrestling getting like Oscar nominations. Mm hmm. You know, in the late 90s Mickey when Mickey Rourke, it was like he was never hotter. Oh, it I was know. like this big this comeback. A huge thing. comeback. He yeah. was in, he got an Iron Man villain role. <laughs> exactly. The, like the biggest gig you could get. He was a star at for that, that time. That like four year period. Yeah. He was it back, rem- baby. It reminded America almost 20 years later just exactly how smoking hot Marissa Tomei was. <laughs> that was her, yeah, resurgence, right? Like, yeah. Still got it. <laughs> this that movie could have very you know you wouldn't have had to change that much and it could have been the stripper, and would have mm-hmm. been the Marissa Tomei vehicle. It just reminded America just like oh yeah that girl who was the hottest woman on film in My Cousin <laughs> Vinny, that woman that we all collectively agreed is incredible and we all love her. Like this is what she you know I love Marissa Tomei. She has been in so many great. This woman's been nominated for four or five Oscars before the devil knows you're dead. You know, all these incredible performances under a belt, but The Wrestler is such a... Wrestling fans were poisoned because suddenly, like, the elites 
we're now watching this, you know, yeah. treating wrestling seriously. You exactly. know, these two actors deserved their nominations. Mickey Rourke was so believable as Randy the Ram. The guy's already got such a meaty, messed up face. Oh, from yeah. His surgeries. But he's so Randy the Ram in that movie. If you're like, yeah, man, the man's got a fucked up face, but it's really messed up as Randy the Ram. Like, he had additional, <laughs> like, you know, face. But he was. Well, you know, he was really using the steroids to get into that role. So he was. Everything so, was cauliflowered out. And oh, God. So puffy. Out so puffed that, up. You, he had that amazing, like, HGH, like, muscle gut. Yeah. You know? The story goes, you know, it was a Darren Aronofsky film. It was. Can you imagine Requiem for a Dream less than a decade earlier? And you're just like, I can't wait to see his pro wrestling movie <laughs> later. And then the, the joke at the time amongst. Uh, my buddy Tom, I think it was the funniest thing. Because on message boards back then, wrestling fans were hoping like this this could lead to another boom. Mm-hmm. The biggest boom period of my life in wrestling was 99 to 01. Stone Cold The Rock. Wrestling was never bigger. It was like popular. People were talking about it on college campus. Yeah, SmackDown was like an event. You know, like wrestling felt cool. You could actually talk about it. Wrestling shirts were in every store. In the mall, like it was, it was big. Now bigger than Hulkamania, though. I I feel like Hulkamania. It's tougher to quantify because you know cable TV was in less homes. The way people yeah. watched things were were different. The internet now existed, so wrestling could, fans could connect more. Wrestling was so much more regional. Mm-hmm. Still during the Hulk, Hulk Hogan bridged the era from regional wrestling to nationwide. Yeah, wrestling. So you you can make a. A good argument whether Hulk Hogan or Steve Austin was the. But those are star. definitely both like the times where I was in. Sure, vault. same here, and and probably the general public, you know, S- Steve would, Austin would have had known who these guys were and what they were doing. Stone Cold had a higher peak than Hogan, but a shorter peak. Hogan had a huge mm. national level of fame for an extended right. run, and was able to parlay that into doing Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain, <laughs> Suburban Commando. Shall I go on? Please, I'd love it. (laughs) Hulk Hogan had a a much larger sustainable star level than Austin. Austin retired early with a neck injury and counted as millions. He was cool, though. uh, Still cool. But The Rock is still making movies. Yeah. John Cena's now. now, Yeah, so now we have this whole... And it feels like that keeps happening, right? Like every 10 years. Like So John Cena maybe in 2010... And then uh, I don't know who's next. Maybe maybe Roman Reigns will. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, there's you never know what wrestler is going to be able to cross over. Crossing over is a whole different thing. You know, a wrestler hosting Saturday Night Live. You know, The Rock. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, somebody like, or Hogan probably. You know, did it like? I'm sure Hogan did it back in the day, right? Wrestling charisma is the Undertaker obviously hosted <laughs> SNL. <laughs> Undertaker probably hosted like a like a Blue Lives Matter rally. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like probably like a pretty high profile one. Like a probably. lot of probably like a lot of famous racists were there. Yeah. So it was like pretty important to the uh, the him, culture. Him and right? the guy from Stained just performing together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, he had, he has his own big following, right? But you know, when the wrestler came out the movies we were getting about wrestling before that was like ready to rumble. Yeah. You know, exactly. David Arquette and Oliver Platt wrestling or, you know, the way wrestling's always portrayed, it's always, you know, like kids jumping on each other. You know, it's like mama's family. There's a wrestling yeah. episode or it's escape from New York. 
where it's like trash can lids yeah, and man. spikes bats. You get Ox Baker in a ring with like chains for ropes instead. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah, exactly. It's always some kind of pit fighting thing. It's never actually yeah. presenting pro wrestling as like an honest take on wrestling. And uh, it's a tough biz. You know, we watched, geez, when we were watching some actual, you know, Texas world-class wrestling just now, mm-hmm. we were talking about how, you know, Ric Flair was out there, one of the biggest wrestling stars, wrestled all over the country, wrestled 250 to 300 dates a year for Insane. so long. And you think about, like, a touring band, if they were playing 250 gigs a year, yeah, how insane that would be. But it's just such a different level of insanity if you two were going out there and just getting their faces <laughs> raked into cages and taking hard back bumps on concrete every night and then being like, well, now we got to drive 400 miles to Virginia. Yeah, right. And I got to bleed all over the place. He's bleeding in those clips, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Flair gets They're, busted open in every state of the nation. I like how they have to kind of uh, address that at one point in this movie. It's just like, there's nothing fake. It's, uh, you know, they show him kind of planning out what we're going to do but they're in there uh i thought the wrestling action in the movie was pretty good at, at showing just like they're hitting the concrete yeah you, you know, know it's whenever they whenever pro wrestling is portrayed so much in, in media growing up again like when vader's on boy meets world uh-huh mm-hmm. or something you know sure. it's always like there's always it's always played for laughs right but for such a grimy scummy business the wrestler is really one of the the big one that brought it over to the the mainstream consciousness of yeah. the shitty v- veterans, you know, VFW hall reunion shows and these these older guys who like aren't as old as they look sitting mm-hmm. there with like oxygen cans and just like it's a hard life. The highs are high but the come down is and the injuries are harsh. You know, and that on the road lifestyle the cocaine uh, uppers to get up, the downers to come down. You, This really does, uh, you know, the stardom that the Von Erichs went through is something that you or I or anybody we know wouldn't be able to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Having, the, having the kind of constitution to just last in this. Doing Ric Flair is the absolute mess of a man right now. This is a man who partied so hard and lived so high that he clearly expected to die out with his peers. Mm-hmm. As so many of our favorites. He's still around, huh? He's still around. He looks he's he looks like shit. You know, he's still he's like hawking like crypto still coin, you know. 250 days a, a year. You yeah. know, any this guy probably pulls in the best cameo gig numbers. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, around, you know, any college football team wants to pay 50 grand for flair to to come to your cotton bowl game and cut a promo on you in the locker room yeah he's going to do that right it's no different than our favorite character actors from the 80s where you're just like well shit at least they get like sell some polaroids Mm -hmm. on the convention circuit right like that's kind of what we hope the best case scenario for a lot of these wrestlers they aren't crossing over into movies and tv like john cena getting his mark Wahlberg hair plugs yeah, right. So we can host some game shows, right? Like, usually that doesn't work out. It's much more like a Randy the Ram living in a trailer <laughs> situation, re- wrestling at boys and girls clubs, right? Mm-hmm. And so until the wrestler, like, crossed it over and said, like, yeah, this is pro wrestling. This is real. 
this is a real this is these it's, guys get the hurt. drama is real yeah the drama yeah. is real these guys are serious like the right. the damage and the toll this takes on their their lives and their bodies it's real right so i remember a lot of disillusioned wrestling fans thinking you know it's 09 2010 we're due for another boom mm-hmm. once you tasted that attitude era w that stone cold the rock two of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling hitting at the exact same time, right? Peak and huge. Next level popularity. Wrestling fans that live through that think that that's just going to be a thing that roller coasters back up instead of viewing it as a once-in-a-lifetime peak, mm. you know? So when The Wrestler came out, I remember the talk. Like, this is going to legitimize pro wrestling. And my friend Tom joking, the, the idea of somebody watching The Wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> somebody watching the world that is depicted in like, like Asbury Park. More of this. Yeah. <laughs> this is something I this is a world I want to spend more time in. <laughs> That's great. The specific when joke, is it on? <laughs> Tom walked out of the theater and this is the he's the funniest person I've ever known. This is the funniest thing I've ever heard any man say. He said, somebody seeing the wrestler and wanting to get more involved in that scene, like, I need to look into Asbury Park, New Jersey Indies. Yeah. This would be like somebody walking out of the accused and thinking it was going to do business for the pinball industry. <laughs> Did you see how much we were featured in that scene? The scene that everybody's talking about, I might add. Uh-huh. The un- next level disillusionment at how people view the sport of wrestling, right? Somehow, pro wrestling exists constantly on every channel. You can find it every night of the week on TBS, TNT, USA, Fox. It's Absolutely. advertised during like 49er games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never been bigger, and you've never heard less people talk about something. It's like McDonald's. We know sure. everybody goes, served. right? Everybody goes to it. But I don't remember the last time I talked with somebody at work saying, like, you know what I did last night? Just said, fuck it. <laughs> Wait, just decided I needed the easiest get out and just went to McDonald's over the freeway. So now that's making me think that there's, like, McDonald's fanatics out there who, when the, uh, the Michael Keaton McDonald movie came out, were like, this is going to legitimize... People, McDonald's. Yeah. There were so many people upset about Super Size Me <laughs> for black-eyeing their passion. What is the name of that Michael Keaton McDonald's movie? It's like the, the leader or something. Some weird name, but he's like the guy who started McDonald's. <laughs> There's a Ray Kroc <laughs> yes. Michael Keaton biopic. Yeah, he starts McDonald's. He buys it from... Uh, <laughs> The guy, he does. It's true. There's what? What's the timeline on this? When did this come oh, out? Last ten years or so. Yeah. This is like a post Birdman. Nick Offerman's one of the like McDonald brothers what? that he buys it from. One of yeah. the McDonald brothers. Is this a, is this canon? I don't know anything about the lore of. Yeah, he stole it from him. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dramatic. But uh, yeah, this is the Ray Kroc. You keep talking about this <laughs> seemingly fake <laughs> biopic, the Michael Keaton McDonald's movie. I don't know. Anyways, well, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask you this. So, I think it's interesting that we were talking about the wrestler legitimizing wrestling about yeah. a made-up dude in present day, like made-up, yeah, New Jersey. This is a movie that tries to be as dramatic and mainstream appealing and. I don't know, Oscar worthy. Yeah. It's trying to be that. Yeah, this obviously. is a straight faced Oscar 
uh, contender movie, uh, right? But it's also a period piece about you know, in a real you know biopic almost. Yeah. So much more to do there than just like make up sad old Mickey Rourke as a character and his girlfriend. Yeah. And yeah, I I thought it was a good movie. I thought The Iron Claw was a good movie. I don't know if it was a great movie. I don't think it was. I have a lot of problems with this movie, and I knew this was going to be tough. Yeah. Like, well, I knew I was going to... especially, gonna, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I've am i experienced this with, like, Moneyball. And I'm such right. a... I'm such a... That's another a good A know-it-all dummy, right? right? Where Moneyball... Nobody... My parents... You know, anybody going to see Moneyball is going to see the new Brad Pitt baseball movie right sure. and to them think it's it like, sounds really smart because it's aaron sorkin and of course stuff right yeah. yeah and i but i'm the one like watching the movie when they're talking about trading carlos pena and putting scott you know hats hatsburg at first base and philip seymour hoffman's like well pena's gonna be an all-star and i'm like no he wasn't <laughs> no. <laughs> he was batting like 220 struck out like 30 percent like now nah. They added that. Nobody would have They made it him. seem like a bigger... The Pena trade seemed like a bigger deal than it was. Right, right. You know? And the fact that... <laughs> and drama to the Pena trade. Yeah, yeah. right? The, the idea that, you know, they're, they're talking... The movie's hyping up Scott Haberg is like, and then the A's won 180 games, you know, that nobody ever... <laughs> and it's just... And then I'm just like, they didn't even mention Mulder and Zito. Their pitching staff was insane. They're exactly. acting like they're putting this together with Band-Aids, you know? They didn't like, bring up Zito? No, man. That's you know, crazy. And so I didn't want to, like, do that. I didn't want You didn't want to moneyball the yeah, Iron man. Claw. I remember my Uncle Rick, who's kind of like the black sheep of our family. He's mm-hmm. my mom's older brother. He's the guy that looks like Pat Sajak. Okay. Born and raised. You know, lived his, he's lived his most of his adult life in Santa Barbara. You know the kind of divorced man that lives in Santa Barbara. Yeah. He's like a tennis, part-time tennis coach. Probably Looks Pat like a Sajak divorced man from, yeah. probably, you assume, right? <laughs> Everybody like that looks like that in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And I remember my Uncle Rick like taking me to see Cliffhanger. And it was just this experience of him being like, that helicopter wouldn't blow up with that little gas in it. And it's just like, who, what, what the fuck? Like, what is <laughs> Like, yeah. back off, Uncle Rick. Yeah, We exactly. don't go to movies often. You know, let's... It just this me being ten, the just being like, kind of who thing. is this guy? Like, yeah. why do why would I have cared about any of this? Right? He was just, like an original like internet nerd before that was a thing. Yeah, it's all it's all a type of guy. And since we're all types of guys, if there was like a laserdisc movie that came out, it would be impossible uh. for you to resist the urge to be like. Actually, by '99, <laughs> right. they were getting much harder to find, and like it'd be impossible. You just know these things, and you never have an opportunity to bring up to anybody these things that you know, right? Mm-hmm. And I've, over my life, I've had you know any girl that I've had over to the house, you know, talking to the parents, and it's just that time where like, well, you've been sucked into my dad vortex, where he's now going to talk to you for an hour about antique bottles. And you're just gonna be the the really nice girl, and I'm your sweetheart for doing this. Yeah, <laughs> Merry Christmas. You know, but it's but it's the flip side of you know me going over to a girlfriend's house, and I'm 20, and it's like your dad's talking a lot about vinyl and how he converts things to mini discs. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. all kind of 
or yeah in my case bible passages and <laughs> yeah it's so, all a type of guy yeah your father-in-law was like a retired minister but yeah. like he's that that's the type of guy he is oh, he's also the type day. of guy who has a lot of different like collectible bourbon bottles <laughs> true. on a shelf right yeah. we all got like our Enjoy some bourbon we got some shit that we have right mm-hmm. and but i didn't want to be the guy in this movie i i love the fact that iron claws being come you know being put out to the masses yeah i got to see this movie about these wrestlers that i love in a theater with like 60 other people yeah of all ages of all interests of all levels of fandom and yeah it's it's something that's actually getting a push I think that's important too. Like, it's not just something that came out and no one heard of it, and maybe it just dropped on Netflix. Yeah, amongst a hundred other movies, like it's a theatrical movie. It's got stars. Zac Efron famously is like bulked up in this movie, gassed, unrecognizable. Yeah, you get uh, Jeremy Allen White's like the GQ Man of the Year in yeah. it. Uh, veteran actors Holt and and Meg Tier uh, Maura Tierney, Maura yeah. Tierney, Maura Tierney. Yeah, yep. great, great casting, great location. Actual yeah, it budget. looks good. It looks so good. Uh, you know, as it's 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 always telling when a movie starts with inspired by a true of story course. instead of based on or. And I knew like, it, it's very yeah. Like in, going yeah, into this, I knew loose, I would have loosely based my opportunity to talk about. Well, that's not how it happened. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. But I didn't want that to affect how I felt about the movie. Right. This didn't is want a, to take you out of the moment. This is a dramatization. It's, this it's, does not need yeah. to be a recreation of events. Well, it's a movie that's going for a feeling. It's it's really an emotional movie, even though it's about a family that's like trying to hide all of its emotions, and it's this domineering father forcing his sons to do these things and being hard on them, like boot camp style, and these sons bonding over it, and and these brothers, and you could tell they they wanted it to be an emotional family movie maybe even more than the wrestling movie yeah and um me going into it not knowing that much about it that worked for me like i felt it as a father as a brother i teared up at the end when you're supposed to like it manipulated me correctly i thought zach efron was great everybody's great in it like you said and uh does it matter i guess like that it's not accurate no i don't think it does i think the von eric story there's been books written about it. There's do- multiple documentaries. There's an amazing documentary. I'm sure a lot of it's on YouTube called Heroes of World Class. Hmm. It was made in the mid 2000s. It's like a four hour documentary. Interviews with all you know surviving uh, people. Referee David Manning, who you're now very familiar with. <laughs> Seen him in multiple things. Uh, now. Kevin Von Erich, you know <laughs> Bill Mercer, all the people that were involved. In the- Bill Mercer was the uh, the commentator, who's also kind of Fritz's right hand man in oh, terms yeah. of the business. Right, that uh, guy was great. Whoever you know, that guy is, yeah, that, that actor's a guy I've seen a lot and stuff. I don't know his name. I'll, I'll look. I'll idly look it up at the corner of my eye because yeah. he was good. This was just such a a well cast movie, treated seriously and. It doesn't need to be accurate to events. Like you said, it's a vibe. And the Von Erich story transcends the actual, uh, any of the actual legitimate feats of mm-hmm. the Von Erichs and the mega stardom that these these boys from Denton, Texas went through, right? It is such a impressively tragic and sad and family, human story that it kind of transcends. The, wrestling's just the backdrop. Yeah, wrestling no, didn't necessarily cause level, right? yeah. their downfall, while also is a hundred percent responsible 
for the family's downfall. This idea that if wrestling wasn't a part of their lives, all of them would have been overall better off. Or Fritz would have just thrown would have them been into something some else. other thing. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's very much this, uh, you know, the thing I, you know, it's it's like, it spoke to me as far as like things I'm struggling with, being a dad, being a brother. Like I said, Fritz is such a character as a dad who's got all these great sons and they just love him and they just want to be in the family. And all he can think about is what he didn't get and what the world has taken from him and the hardships that he's faced and, and he's passing on. It's like, it's a movie about like the generational trauma Oh, and, and the, the way that this family has a curse on it. As they say, there's no such thing as a curse. It's trauma being passed on and Kevin like trying to break away from that trauma and seeing it destroy everything around him. And, you know, we find out he kind of, he gets through it and he builds his own family and he, he makes his own, you know, you know, his own luck. Every family has abuse survivors and every survivor has to find a way to ground themselves mm-hmm. to, to, to soldier through. Right. And, you know, Fritz, by all accounts, and most of these accounts are Kevin, you know, the uh-huh. one, the soul living uh, today to this day, he's still alive. He's doing great. Yeah. That's incredibly a, that's, right? that's the one thing you need in a sports movie by the way is that happy ending or, or something biopic. good Jeez, the biopic something where good it's like he's been married for 40 years and he's got 13 grandkids yeah good night one of them did all right <laughs> one of them did all right and you know by all accounts fritz you know was an abused child you know his grandfather was putting him in like street fights when he was a teen you know he's a tough mm-hmm. kid football scholarship to college right and the movie paints him uh, in a somewhat, you know, you could say sympathetic way. There's been hundreds of movies about domineering fathers. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of great Santini types out there where the father will never view their son as good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a, a common father That's trope, like a rite right? of passage for, like, Hollywood actors. Like, you have to play the bad dad. Like, De Niro did it with A Boy's Life. Mm-hmm. Denzel was in Fences. You know, it's like, you've got to be like the asshole dad. Yeah. If you're going to really make it in Hollywood. So, yeah. we Yeah. Holt, and if you, Holt though, I mean, this guy. Holt McElhaney, when I. He's done nothing but deliver amazing performances. But this was such a. Yeah, this felt so real. Yeah, man. Fritz von Erich's a complicated wrestling character. Now, in real life, Hall of Fame wrestler. He drew money. I mean, when his heel character, Fritz and Waldo Von Erich, big draws, mm-hmm. right? Playing up the jury. Big draw that was around long enough. Any heel that's around long enough and drawn money, if you're successful enough, you eventually cross over to a point where you've been around long enough now that you become beloved. And that's kind of what happened with Fritz. You know, he was a big star in the Texas Territory. Uh, the early shots in this movie, Holt McElhaney. Oh, man, that black and white opening. Yeah, right? That is like Raging Bull level kind of stuff. It looked beautiful. Yeah. And Holt McElhaney, the first time I saw a trailer for this in the theater, didn't know what to expect from a movie. All wrestling fans at this point are like, you're, you get skeptical about how wrestling's going to be portrayed anytime, right? right? You know, there's, geez, The Rock has that brutally bad NBC show, Young Rock. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like, it's... 
You're they do all... wrestling on that show? Is he yeah, like, of course, there's wrestling, wrestling drama. Rock isn't in the show. You know, right. he'll yeah, appear yeah, yeah. as Dwayne Johnson recounting memories. You uh-huh. know, <laughs> also I have also I've stopped watching Young Rock after the first few episodes, and it's sure. like, oh, I sure. get this. But a few years ago, there was a movie called like Fighting with My Family. About uh-huh. a, a British girl that signed with WWE in her teens, and that's a true story. And I saw that at Third Street, and it's it's got my girl Florence Pugh, oh, you know, yeah, as yeah. as uh, as Soraya as uh, the girl, and it was it was fine, you know. But it also felt kind of like a freeform original, mm-hmm. you know, a Disney Plus original in a lot of ways. And once I saw this trailer for for. Iron Claw, and I see Holt McElhaney. The guy is Fritz von Erich. Everything is so down, like mm. so exact. And as you said, nothing but great performances from years. I love that one season show, Lights Out. Oh, that yeah, show yeah. where he was a former, you know, kind of boxer, uh, aging boxer, but also promote like, oh, that was my first exposure to him. And he's a guy now that uh, if I know he's in something, it's like, ooh. You know, well, he's I, a guy. He's a new, like a new guy. But I mean, he was uh, he was great in Fight Club. Yes, and, and then all the way up to uh, Nightmare Alley, and he was oh, in the, yeah. he was in that show Mine Hunters. He was the older guy in Mine Hunters. Great, great stuff. And of course, we saw him as a young man in Creep Show too. Oh he's wow! Uh, Long haired. Wow! Uh, guy yes, that kills George Kennedy. Oh, in our in our favorite Creep Show movie segment. But knockouts for this guy. <laughs> Lights no, out, baby. He's so good. I hope he gets the recognition. It's one of those where he's a guy that deserves more than what he gets. It's this incredible obviously beloved. Full agree. Full yeah. agree. I I I look out for things he's in, right? Totally. And the second I see him as Fritz, it's this role where the people that know Fritz von Erich are blown away. And I think it's one of these roles that you don't have to know who he is. He's just this guy. He's this type. Mm. It doesn't matter to most viewers that I'm like, that's how Fritz walks. Mm. The black and white footage, he had Fritz von Erich's 1960s build, right? He has, ni- he has 1983 Fritz von Erich's <laughs> build with those black slacks and those, those polos that are tied around his now like round beer belly, yeah. but still that like, God, that guy looks tough as hell. The Coke looks like the kind of guy that chews cigars, yeah. right? You know, anytime Running... he was at the desk counting money and stuff in this movie it was very like, yeah, felt very real. Yeah, it felt like one of those like De Niro in Casino. Yeah, you're just like, God, I wish he was wearing some big, big Marty <laughs> Scorsese glasses. I Got wish. A bit of that. I wish this office was smokier. Yeah, you know, and but another thing that excited me when i saw this trailer that i that i this is such a small thing but a thing that as a wrestling fan i saw like oh they're going they're putting effort into this zach efron was so good at running the ropes mm, mm-hmm. in the trailer running the ropes is not easy running the ropes is one of those things that if you try running the ropes the first time you do it you realize how hard it hurts sure for a thing that you don't even really think about when you watch pro wrestling it's one of these weird physics breaking things that you just accept about pro wrestling that a guy can throw you hard enough that you just kind of run around back and forth for a while i I, yeah i feel like the the guys who do it best make it look so easy that sometimes i i find myself watching wrestling either with you or remembering as a kid and seeing a guy hold a guy up yeah and just realizing the amount of strength that takes but they make it look so easy when they do it 
Yes. Uh, but yeah, I thought the wrestling action and Zach jumping off the ropes, doing the body slams, that scene yeah, where you see him really running the ropes. One, once I saw the... Good so stuff. That trailer was really eye-opening because not only was it just like, oh man, Hulk... I knew, so I knew it was A24. Okay, yeah. And already it was... You know, A24 had developed such an... You think this A24 lifestyle has really just sprang up huge during the life of our podcast, Mm -hmm. right? It has become such a a reliable presence in theaters. Of all the talk about Marvel for such a, you know, now finally coming to an end, maybe, of just dominating theaters, right? Mm -hmm. We have had such a steady stream of unique cinema brought to us by a24 getting consistent theater screen time yeah for some actually pretty weird movies whether you like them or not right a24 is at least bringing some different views to to mainstream cinema well i mean how many like studios or distributors do you know by name really sure a24 bloom house i don't know we're and, in then, the, and then it's Universal or MGM or something. We're in right? this era like, of where people can like kind of be fanboys for studios. Yeah, it'd be as big as they were. Nobody was just like, "Oh, the new MGM release is coming out." <laughs> exactly. That's what it exactly right. No one's going like, "Did you guys hear Paramount's doing?" Yeah, exactly. Like A twenty four is actually a selling point. Yeah, as a th- you know to get people into movies, which is not not a thing that's happened before. Maybe. It's this cool connection. I've kind of view it spiritually to like direct to video movies, the direct to video era. You know, there's certain brands just like the new Canon, right? You might go out to see the new Empire Pictures. There was a new Empire release. That's something you'd get excited for. And, and it became like Miramax in the 90s, right? Like you would go see a Miramax movie or Sony Classics. A Sony Classics. Or how my friend James... <laughs> you knew would, it was going to be intellectual if it was a Sony Classics. I have such love for my, my high school friend James Palmer who would talk reverently about USA originals. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the way... In Why the, not? In the, Steve, in the Steve Buscemi, like, you know, when you got Jose Feliciano, it's just, it's this thing like, and it's a USA original. It's like that's a level that's a stamp of approval yeah. that you can trust. And it's no different than we're that's getting a, Well, the people have that way about Hallmark movies, right? Like, of course. It's a brand name Hallmark that you movie. suddenly like you're trusting oh. the brand over the product. Yeah. Doesn't matter what Note when I discovered, you know, Sub Pop in the nineties. Exactly. And it was just like, I don't know all these bands, I trust this label. I don't know all these bands on Matador. I'm gonna buy the well, new Matador release. It was yeah. I had I remember the same way. It's like uh, I got really into Asian Man Records. Of course, yeah. And it's like I don't know any of these bands. I'm gonna buy them because they're on Asian Man Records. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's like with 24. It's like I don't know who this filmmaker is. I'm gonna give him a give him a look. Give her a look because they're on A24. So obviously they're doing something right. They're doing it's this it's great promote. Right? <laughs> Zac Efron in an A twenty four movie didn't see that coming together. But as soon as you hear Zac Efron starting an A twenty four movie, you're like, oh, this yeah. this is probably gonna be good. A twenty four it's it's kind of the, on the level of you know you get excited for the Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. You know when you find when we first heard Robert Pattinson was gonna be in a Cronenberg movie, it didn't turn us. You know for a guy who had been in a lot of you know, Twilight was known for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Being associated with Cronenberg, every it was just like, oh shit! Now we <laughs> we get to see something different from Robert Pattinson, right? And that's you know, Zac Efron. 
I think the guy is fun. The guy is a teen idol from High School Musical. Yeah. I have never seen a High School Musical movie. Neither have I. But the box office that these movies did, they this was like a culture-defining series of movies in the same way that the Twilight movies defined a subset of culture, right? Yeah. I think it's what I think he's a bigger star than we think he is. Like because he's we're huge. like I said, we're both like forty year old men. Like <laughs> yeah. I think people maybe fifteen years younger than us are like They are seeing the Zach Efron movie, yeah. regardless of what it is. Exactly. You know, I I saw neighbors. He's and, really and great. Neighbors, neighbors too. Right? And he's great. Yeah. But that was a Zach o- Efron crossover. Yeah. This is a guy that was huge for movies that were not marketed to me. He is now and this is him really being, no, I'm an actor, actor. He's doing his Christian Bale phase now, right? Yeah. He's yeah. like, I will transform my body. And he does. He does. And, and he really, like, honestly, yeah, even though I don't know him from that much, I never was watching this movie thinking that Zac Efron. Well, it I helps. did that with Jeremy Allen White. But I was yeah. not. But really, like, watching him, the hair and the body and the his, manner, his mannerisms just really weren't. And his fucking fat fingers. This was so big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was never a point where I was like thinking of him as Zac Efron. So he was. Well, that's the thing. Mickey Rourke was so good in The Wrestler that people just assumed that he wasn't. Well, they just found the right role and he was able to be himself. Yeah. You know, but then. No, man, you watch interviews with Mickey Rourke. You watch other stuff like, no, he was doing a whole nother guy. It was just this perfect amount of, you know, extension mm-hmm. of himself. And the story goes that Aronofsky was going to use, that Nicolas Cage was the one signed on mm. for that movie. Nicolas Cage was going to be the wrestler. I could see that. Very different movie. I could see him doing a wrestler movie today, Nicolas Cage. Sure. But it would be more like, in my brain now, I'm picturing it more like Oliver Platt in Ready to Rumble. Yeah. <laughs> than Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. But the story goes, I remember the news at the time, Nicolas Cage showing up at, you know, indie shows, mm. scouting, doing it. Obviously, Cage is a guy who's going to do his research. I would love no- Nicolas Cage, you talk about guys into weird things. Yeah, the stuff that Nicolas Cage, the hobbies he could talk your ear off about. How I mean, the idea of Nicolas Cage getting deeply involved into pro wrestling is too perfect. <laughs> the story goes he did not want to be on the gas necessary mm. to be the role. Nicolas Cage has done action movies, but there's a difference between the body he had in Con Air and the body Mickey Rourke has in Yeah, The Wrestler. Right. Mickey Rourke had a body that looked like a pro wrestler's body. And I don't mean muscular. It's this specific kind of bloated, abused physique. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and these guys are, you know, their bodies take such damage. And the amount of, you know, mass and just shape that you put on. Nobody has bodies like wrestlers. It's different than football players and other bodies that take hard hits. It's just a different body. And from this opening shot of Zac Efron standing up, briefs to camera, you can see that swollen that swollen gut of a guy who's hitting the gym four hours a day, right? And then you cut to the jawline of Zac Efron, and it's just, oh, he recreated himself. Yeah. He recreated his body to be this other person. And he is this person. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I've seen a lot. I've seen tons of Kevin Von Erich. 
And I don't think Zac Efron, for people that know Kevin Von Erich, is totally accurate as Kevin Von Erich, but he doesn't have to be. Nobody else in that room of 60 that I was seeing this movie with was thinking, you know, I've seen Kevin Von Erich promos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've seen Kevin Von Erich Pizza Inn commercials. He was convincing as a totally different person than Zac Efron. Yes, Absolutely. and that's all you need to for this. And, and I, I saw, you know, I was reading a couple of the IMDb reviews, and someone on there was like, I knew the Von Erichs, you know, growing up or something, and Zac Efron nailed it. Like, he basically said that is what Kevin was like. So, so I, I, I mean, I'm sure if, if Holt's doing his research, Zach's doing all that physically, you got to think he's... Based on interviews I've watched with, with Holt, uh, McElhaney, there's this, there's this in, long interview I saw where, where it's him and Maura Tierney, who plays Doris Von, you know, Doris Adkinson. Yeah. The suffering mother of all these dead boys, uh, married to a former... It'd be, Fritz Von Erich is just like if Hank Hill had been like military, militantly dedicated to, yeah. <laughs> you know, the life of pro wrestling and rather than propane. Mm-hmm. And Holt McElhaney, you can tell, got so deep into Fritz and so deep into the research. But you also start sympathizing with this man you're portraying. And so now I've seen so many interviews with Holt talking about like, oh, no, this guy's not so bad. And it's like, well, he's also the guy that was selling forged autographs of his dead son <laughs> at the David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions, right? So it's like, this guy pushed his sons beyond the breaking point. He was constantly pressuring them to perform beyond right. where they should have been performing. A bad guy. He, and he, he gave off strong like Joe Jackson vibes. Just like it's all these, the monster dad who's got these sons who can perform and he's going to milk them for all they're worth. Yeah. There's at, a, at what cost? There's a history of the biggest stars and the most influential performers in our country's history. There's some real monsters behind that talent. You know, it's not just like Ike Turner pushing, <laughs> pushing his wife around, you know. Yeah. It's Brian pushing his, pushing his wife. You know, like, it's a different kind That's of... For- it it's a different... No, it's no, it's pushing yeah. towards this stardom that he has envisioned, but it's also literal pushing. Yeah. yeah. Is this, this violent urge to be bigger. And stage dads, it's different than stage moms pushing their daughters, right? You know, Brian Wilson's father. Brian mm-hmm. Carl Wilson, you know, all the Dennis Wilson, like, by all accounts, horrible, abusive man, mm. humiliating his sons yeah, while yeah. also push. Yeah. The J- Joe Jackson making his sons perform practice for 10 hours a day, putting his child sons out on the road. You know, this is family business. It's a sick thing. You know, these people <laughs> end up damaged. All of the Wilsons ended up damaged. All of the Jacksons. All the Jacksons. Ended and up all damaged. the Von Erics. All of Von Erics. It's familial trauma passed down through generations, and it's about who has the power to stop it. This toxic you know, masculinity that's passed down and just accepted as normal. Kevin Von Erich, in interviews, in every interview, paints his father as a good man. Hmm. We have our outsider's perspective. And we see the exploitative actions. But it's such a world that we have, we can't fathom the idea. My father is a dentist. (laughs) If there's a world where somehow there was this competitive dentistry, and he's just like, you're going to take on this dentist lineage, and you're going to be the biggest dentist in the state. It's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. 
these boys didn't ask to be born into this. And the stardom that they reached by connecting with these fans, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Just because a formerly large star that took over the Texas territory, I think sometime in the 60s, 70s, he started promoting world class out of Dallas. Yeah, he Fritz basically ran the show. Here. Yeah, after his time as a wrestler, and there were still times through the 80s where it would be like Fritz getting back into the ring to fight oh, yeah. alongside. So that's to pop a big house. And that guy was in every territory. Bill Watts was the promoter in Mid-South. The big angle was, you know, would be Bill Watts getting back into the ring. You know, mm-hmm. another one dance left, right? <laughs> this is every territory. Wrestling was not yet national. But to the people in these communities, it was the biggest thing. Our closest territory was San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You had big stars wrestling at, at you know, Kizar. You know? But it was all territories. Portland. You know, the Midwest states had the AWA wrestling in the Illinois and Minnesota. You know, WWF was... Uh, the Northeast, New York, Toronto, Pittsburgh, right? There was the Florida territories. Texas is its own country. Right. Right? It's its own world. And the Von Erichs, at their peak, with their father pushing them on, this is just such a crazy story of having nothing but boys, six mm-hmm. sons, a father pushing them all. This is not Todd Marinovich getting you know pushed into football, right? Coached from... As a baby, by his father, trading him for a life in football. But right? it, is, it sounds like kind of the Manning family, if you think about it now. Yes. You know, and now we got Arch Manning playing college ball. Yeah, it's like a third generation of Mannings. Yeah. Playing quarterback. Yeah, you know, Archie Manning is an excellent uh, quarterback in yeah. his own right, and he pushed his sons. And, you know, the story goes as always that, you know, Fritz didn't want his sons to get into wrestling. Mm. Debatable. Right? He literally asks Carrie to join his brothers in wrestling in this movie. So, of course, <laughs> you know, but it's also pushed from the point of like, we're fighting back. You know, we yeah. need to band together. This is our, this is our family. This yeah. is our family business. He has such a, in the movie, has such a, the world against us kind of a thing. And if you go outside the family, you know, he, he almost, you know, threatens Kevin to ban him from the family, basically, if he sells the, the promotion right. kind of a thing. It's like tying the business with the family so much. I mean, but this is a... It's so relatable on a level of, you know, sons inherit, You know, rich sons inheriting car dealerships or the family business. You know, the sons growing up within a family business and whether they're prepared to take over something that the it's father or a right? grant... right. It's succession. And and in this movie, you have Michael, who just wants to play music, mm-hmm. doesn't want to get into it. He gets forced into it. You know, you have Carrie in the movie, at least, is like has this uh, Olympic goal and then kind of gets into the wrestling when that falls away. So, yeah, it's not necessarily that they, you know, Kevin loves wrestling. That's clear. But uh, this movie also almost made it look like not everyone really loved wrestling as much as so, they said they did. You know, pro wrestling... I mean, and it's still this case. A lot of people who get into pro wrestling, even people that have gone on to be among the biggest stars in wrestling, got into wrestling because they washed out of something else. Mm, mm-hmm. It's a lot of football players who tore, like, who had too bad of a knee injury. A knee injury that prevented you from playing in the NFL could still make you a hugely successful pro wrestler. You could still get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is... You know, we're now uh, 
it's been around long enough and and it's so such a ubiquitous part of our culture that you know of course now we've had big people who grew up watching pro wrestling and wanting Mm -hmm. to be stars and you know now we've had big stars who have pictures of themselves meeting you know cm punk meeting stone cold when he was a teenager you know that kind of thing right Right. where you grew up idolizing wrestling but a lot of wrestlers just got into it because he was either the family business or you washed out of football or there was no way to make money after you're done with collegiate wrestling you know, it's something active that you could still, something athletic that you can do. And if you happen to be six foot two, 250 pounds, <laughs> it beats digging ditches. Yeah, exactly. It, it's almost like one of those where it's like, if you're built for it, like if you're six, seven, uh, they're going to give a basketball to you. Like, you're just, <laughs> <laughs> right. You're going to get a shot to be a basketball player at a certain size, right? Yeah. You're going to get afforded certain opportunities. And, you know, just like I got new confidence in this movie when I saw Zach Afron hitting the ropes. It's like, mm. well, if they're putting mm-hmm. if this guy's getting that much dedication to learn how to hit a rope like a wrestler. Okay. This is he's treating this like something. It was the same level of shock where I found out that Jeremy Allen White was portraying Carrie. <laughs> Carrie Von Eric was a megastar. He could have been the biggest babyface wrestler of the 80s i mean this guy was a superstar he was gigantic massive he looked like you know a olympic god right he looked he was arnold schwarzenegger if schwarzenegger had done pro wrestling mm-hmm. and had of, a big flowy mullet oh dude, the shag the on carry is just <laughs> gorgeous right but he still he got them big teeth arnold schwarzenegger is an insane phenomenon when you think about it, we've oh, had yeah. many talks about this where at a certain point, America just looked past that the largest man any of us have ever stood <laughs> next to has this insane voice, makes crazy faces like we if we just worked if a, if our copy repair man was just like, oh, and he, <laughs> and he was just a hulking bodybuilder. It would be like, holy fuck, Arnold's coming <laughs> over again. It's so insane. But I'm gonna pay ten dollars to see this guy do something. <laughs> yeah, right. It, what I was, so Carrie is just a freak of nature, uh, a horse-faced god, right? Humongous, but with this nice boy charm and this, mm-hmm. and yeah, high school athletes. All of them were athletes in high school. Fritz would make them work out three to four hours a day after they got home, you know, driving these boys to a level of success. We we get so used to watching athletes, and I think the bulk of people who watch sports have no idea. I think they genuinely believe some people are just built different, and that's how they succeed. They don't realize the level of dedication that the worst baseball player puts in. The worst guy in MLB last year is the best baseball player you will have ever see, played with in your life. Right. Right? I worked with a guy... That's their whole life. They're, I, they're doing it eight hours a day. Yeah. That's I, their job. I worked with a dude delivering water at Alhambra who played one game with the Cincinnati Reds. Hmm. You know, he was... That was when baseball had, you know... He, you, once once it passed a certain point, you can add 15... Everybody on the 40-man roster could now be up on the big leagues, right? You can now change out a pitcher every... Every batter in the inning. It's right, Bruce Bochy's right. favorite time of year, right? 
bringing this lefty to face a lefty, bringing the right. It's perfect, right? Yeah. And this dude I work nice with got, game. got one game, three at-bats, one base hit. That was it. Wow. Didn't make it back to the big leagues. Retired. You know, but he got there. Probably, probably better than any human that I've ever played a game of baseball with. You know, my base I've, hit. Yeah, yeah, my buddy Phil played, you know, a game at the at his gym with a woman who had been like on a WNBA practice squad. The WNBA. We've never we don't you don't know anybody that's been to a WNBA game, right? <laughs> she had been a WNBA practice squad. He said he's never tell you s- where to go to yeah. see one. <laughs> <laughs> Sacramento had a, you know, Los Angeles had a um Two just within our state, uh, so actually. Which way to the WNBA? <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me to name the teams, then it'd be. Yeah. But he said it's the best player he's ever played basketball with. We have no idea the dedication that these people put in. And Jeremy Allen White is like he's GQ man of the year. Mm-hmm. People wouldn't. Sh- anybody that worked in a restaurant would not shut up about the bear. We get right. that line cooks probably do crack a lot of them you know we get what it's like you know the specific brand of hunk that that he personified you know but carrie von eric was just an adonis another horse-faced adonis when i saw that this five foot six guy was going to be playing carrie my brain immediately said you just got to not think of who carrie von eric was exactly this is a different this is a new man inspired this is a different man yeah you cannot find a person that you could believably cast as Carrie Von Eric. That's why he was the level of superstar he was. Exactly. Because there aren't others out there who you can just cast as him. But so this movie was going to be inspired by things, so I knew it was not going to be accurate. And so I want to judge it by its own thing. But it's so difficult because the Von Eric story has so many amazing moments. And it almost shocked me. This movie not taking the opportunity to show the huge level of megastar this family was. There's this shot early in the movie. It's my favorite shot Mm. where they recreate the sportatorium. Mm -hmm. And what a Friday or Saturday night might have looked like if you lived in, you know, Dallas. This movie does a very funny thing where it just makes this seem like a small regional family sport metropolitan dallas fort worth area was two and a half million people strong they made during it, the events of this movie the, especially that beginning and and i know that scene where they're kind of in the parking lot i think elo or something's playing right and it felt very like dazed and confused like mid neighborhood level kind of like teens hanging out at the sportatorium I mean, all those movies are based in Texas. Yeah, I exactly. guarantee That's... you that dude was going to... It felt much more Austin than Dallas. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> I guarantee him and his buddies made some treks to the Sportatorium yeah. to see this. Because the level of stardom that the Von Erichs during their peak... We're talking 82 to 84, 85, right? Sportatorium was a dive. Mm. Boy, did it look beautiful. In this shot, right? The Sportatorium does not exist. It got torn down in the sure. the 2000s. It was built, you know, probably in the 40s, 50s. It was an airplane hangar infested with rodents. Oh. Structural problems. <laughs> no heating, no air conditioning. Can you imagine seeing a wrestling show in the summer in the Sportatorium? But during the years where the Von Eriks were on top, this was not just popular for pro wrestling. The Sportatorium was 
the cool place to be in a huge city. This was an event on, you know, this would, this was a popular event. It was not just drawing people that liked pro wrestling. This was the cool place to be in town. Right. The parking lot scene at a sportatorium show, man. Time machine, if I could hit up a sportatorium crowd for a big <laughs> Von Erichs Freebirds match, oh. The parking lot scene would have been sick. <laughs> and just seeing just this laying out sw- on your firebird. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> and yeah, dazed and confused. It's exact it just feels like a small town hanging out, partying after a week of school. Mm-hmm. You imagine getting your friends together and going to the sportatorium to see your favorites, the Von Ericks. The Von Ericks worked in Texas. When I say Texas is a different country, we've been to Texas, but you're growing up there. It's your own it's your own country. The rest of the world doesn't exist. It's such a huge place. It would take you a full day to drive one end yeah. Texas to the other. I have friends that live in Texas. But Most you of my exes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my buddy Eduardo lives down in, in like a border town, far Texas, right? Mm. And I think there's you know, wrestling shows or big concerts happening there, but you tell them about once just like, Oh yeah, it's ten hours away. From where I live. Just things. So imagine this this Von Erichs loop that they're going through every, touring through Houston, touring through up in Missouri, hitting this loop every week to come back to Dallas as your home base. People in one part of Texas don't know what's happening from a Wednesday night at one territory to the next. These This was pre-internet. Yeah. But the Von Erich boys appealed more as just studs. More as just guys who can throw a high drop kick. More as just guys with good bodies, right? They appealed as nice boys. Nice Texas boys. You know, good boys. Mm-hmm. The fall of the boys was when you couldn't stop covering up their DUI arrests or their, you know, the news would get out about a drug, you know, but they were such a unique level of star. And you heard, you had to have heard it in some of the matches I showed you. This is the kind of thing unduplicated in wrestling history where not only was this the hot place to be, sell out business for a strong two to three year run before WWF expanded nationally when world class was arguably viewed as the biggest wrestling in the country for a while. But the high percentage of female fans, the high-end shrieks that would happen, the girls that would mob these boys Mm -hmm. on the way to the ring, it was almost shocking how little of that they showed in this movie. This movie does this odd thing where it takes a traditional... You know, the thing about when I'm going to see the Elvis biopic, you're seeing the high highs, the biggest entertainer in the country, and then the low lows, the dying on the toilet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, crash, right? Something about the Iron Claw, you're getting like this medium level. You cut out the peak of the highs and you cut out the depths i well you just did that like madonna vogue thing i think that's so interesting because i felt like this was such a small look uh i don't know how to say it intimate is not the word but like everything was so close the focus was so close up yeah so when you're seeing zach efron bouncing off the ropes you're just seeing the rope in focus and he's out of focus or you're seeing just them as they approach and everything you know as they approach the ring and and everything around the ring is like kind of out of focus, hard to see, looks empty. 
Yeah. There's a big space around everything when and we're watching the matches on the TV. It's cameramen are running around and uh the crowd is right there. There's a there's one where Carrie falls and there's a lady with a big camera just like right there taking a picture of him as he's in her crotch. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so this movie had this very kind of uh isolating maybe feeling of it. And I'm I'm sure that's on purpose. Um had to be intentional, but also I don't think you can properly capture the scope of the crowds, yeah, that and, were there. and, and this obviously eight twenty four. It's probably a lower budget, so it's like they just didn't have it. Maybe for all those extras, I guess. But yeah, you can't afford to digitize. But then also, full... like after the sportatorium scene, it's like him kind of politely signing some autographs to some kids who are just kind of like, "Okay, bye, Kevin." Yeah, and it's like in the shots we were seeing, yeah, they were getting mobbed by people. Um, oh, in the real, so there's so many. I, I've watched so much world class. I've seen so many shows. But there's footage. I've showed you clips. Carrie just kissing women mm-hmm. on the way of the ring. Just not even looking. Just blindly kissing. He could have been kissing. Very possible a man slipped in <laughs> at some point. It didn't. He was just moving to the next set of lips. Uh, one of one of my favorite perf- concert performance movies. I love Elvis. That's the way it is, which documents Elvis is uh, Vegas residency when he was still at the height of his, you know. He was still Elvis. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a fat, sweaty. He was kind of fat and sweaty, but he was still Elvis, right? He was still an attraction, a marquee name, some a destination. I worked with a guy also at that same Alhambra, who was like a guy who he and his wife saw Elvis in Vegas, you know, like six times, oh, and he cool. remembered each performance. And it was Bill was just this big guy. Elvis was a legitimate attraction star, mm-hmm. the likes that we don't understand. It was a different era, different time. But when he does Love Me Tender, and that's the way it is, it is so powerful, so captivating. He sings a tenth of the song because it is him just women line up around the room. (laughs) And he is going through, walking a single file line, kissing every man's woman Uh in this room while muffling Love Me Tender songs through it all. (laughs) It's so great. It's just him just... Love me too, and then just mashing his mouth on women, and uh, the band's just looping through the instrumental. They know right. the routine. Elvis, this is the time of night. Women know to line up. Well, it's incredible. That's and great. the Von Erichs are just coming to the wings. And it's swarmed. that same energy. Yeah, that same energy in those clips we saw the Von Erichs. But in this one again, they they feel so isolated from everyone else except each other, the family, right? Yeah, and, and even the uh, you know Kevin. And uh, his, you know, eventually wife, like that felt like such a movie way of like her. They have this great shot of the girl who wants to eventually marry Kevin. Like we see her, she gives that kind of like, "Here I go, oh man, here I go to talk Lily, to Kevin." Lily James is such a cutie as <laughs> as uh, Kevin's future wife. Right? The whole thing with them is just such a script. It's just <laughs> such a movie script of her being like. Oh, you gotta ask me out on the, you know, asking him out on the date, and then they have they their date is they go get ribs, you know, and they talk, and he just wants to be with his brothers. It's like it's uh he's so oblivious to the world outside of the family in this movie, right? In the movie. Now I don't know all of the details of Kevin Von Erich's personal life, mm-hmm. and I know this, you know, the story of this. Kevin is the the source of information. This story. We do know he's been married for more than 40 years. Yeah. And they have 13 grandkids, and they all 
live on the ranch. Yeah, man. His mom, Doris, lived out on that ranch in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Kevin, he lives in this beautiful estate in Hawaii, mm-hmm. grows uh, reportedly the strongest weed. <laughs> You can grow. I love this and the, guy. The dude, <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> there's on on Vice Vice TV. There's a show called Dark Side of the Ring. Of course, they did. Oh one yeah, on the Von Erichs. Yeah, yeah. I've and heard of that. Yeah, it's a good sh- good show. Some great episodes. And the Von Erichs one's great because it's Kevin in Hawaii telling stories about his brothers, and the guy is just the stories coming out of this is just like the people filming the show having a hit. A, Kevin Von Erich's homegrown. Imagine like the weed Willie Nelson smokes. Mm-hmm. Like I smoke weed, but if I'm smoking on Willie's bus, I am on my ass <laughs> with this 90 year old man. Right. So they just smoking with Kevin Von Erich the whole time. Like this guy is chill. He has lived, he's gone through hell and he came out the other side. Right. His mom lived out there on, in Hawaii. The movie really drops a lot of Doris's how she separated from fritz that was one of the scenes i read about you know after how many sons deaths can you endure and still stand by this man right so i was shocked they didn't include the coda of doris living with kevin well they had they kind of end the doris and fritz story with her just like not making dinner like that's her big like (laughs) her like i'm painting again i'm gonna paint again also uh i just want to say more tyranny uh i was trying to remember what i knew her from and it's the Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar. <laughs> and if you remember that movie, the big thing that Jim Carrey does with his son is the claw. Do you remember that? I could not have told you that. The he does claw. the full-on wrist-grabbing iron claw. And later in that movie, Carrie Elwes is the new stepdad, tries to do, like, the claw's gonna get you. <laughs> it's like a hook finger And claw. the kid's, like, not into it. <laughs> and Maura Tierney has to be like, nah, it's it's okay. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> don't try and replace. So uh, I just think it's really cool that she gets to be in two claw-based movies. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 30 years apart. <laughs> there were a lot of claw scenes in news radio. It's true. Were you like? Were you not a news radio guy? I would not think That's somebody true. referencing "Liar Liar" from Maura Tierney. That's true. I just, I guess, I never thought of her. Yeah, that okay. was that's such an ensemble. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's kind of it's crazy to me. I love she's so good in news radio. News radio is thirty years ago. I have no idea how Maura Tierney basically looks like Maura Tierney. Mm-hmm. In a, also, I remember. While I'm talking about news radio, I was going to mention two other things with her, but they were actually things with Moira Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's the problem, yeah. Uh, So, but... And again, I almost called her Meg Tilly earlier, so I don't... (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I can't keep these people straight sometimes. We love our Meg Tilly. I'll never forget... We love our Tilly sisters. I'll never forget Carrie Ellis trying to do the claw with one finger. I mean... And the kid just being like, no. Jim Carrey, I mean, he did the Andy Kaufman biopic. Dude has to be a, a wrestling fan. That's true. I don't oh, know yeah. what wrestler Ooh. he grew up in Canada watching, you know, Edouard Carpentier, or I don't know, right? <laughs> but I've heard Norm MacDonald, you know, he talked, he loved pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. He was a kid up in Canada, you know? So if Carrey did the, the Kaufman biopic and he's mentioned the Iron Claw in there, you know... <laughs> Guy's got to be a fan, right? Now, also, I need you to explain to me what does the Iron Claw do? I don't. Dude, what is it supposed? Is it a skull s- crusher? It's all right, a, man. It's a, it's a so you hit the temples. Now of the that eyes. you've seen Carrie, now that you've seen David, <laughs> now that you've seen Fritz, like you've seen the hands on those dudes. Those are big hands. That's you imagine true. like a basketball player instead of palming a basketball, just palming your skull and squeezing. 
let me tell you, it's no different than. Uh, so I love I love bear hugs in pro uh-huh. wrestling when a guy just like grabs you. Bear hugs don't always read. You know, it looks like a guy just kind of grabbing a guy around the waist. If you know a man that weighs 280 pounds and you tell him like, hey, let me with my arms at my sides, wrap your arms around me and squeeze me as hard as you can. It uh-huh. will feel like your skeleton is imploding. <laughs> no matter if it just looks like a guy just kind of like hugging a guy around right. the waist. Like, I, I don't got big yeah. hands, but if we had a guy with basketball palm and hands and you said, all right, squeeze my head <laughs> with your hand as hard as you can, like... Believe me, you'll you'll know the Iron Claw. There's a famous uh, event that happened on live TV where Fritz von Erich, you know, wrestlers spend their lives as this breed of man who the public, while consuming wrestling, for whatever reason, looks down upon wrestling more than any scripted form of entertainment as fake. Mm-hmm. Wrestlers are always having to defend them. That's the first A-line question you have to defend yourself. You're going on Jenny Jones. You're going on Donahue. It's always something going, so it's all fake, right? And so wrestlers, that's the thing that they all feel insecure need to defend themselves against. In a way that nobody's, no people that, the 18 million people that watch any of the Housewives shows never go like, it's all fake, right? Well, that's the, we just yeah. accept it, you know? Nobody goes into a movie, a scripted movie, going like, this is fake. <laughs> like, we just it's understand. big problem with Seinfeld. Yeah, Too we, fake. Yeah, it's so fake. <laughs> so fake. We all go in understanding and accepting this breed of entertainment is fake, right? But for some reason, pro wrestling's the one that it's real enough, and people can see it, that it makes us question. But it's all fake, right? Mm-hmm. Like my dad, I can picture him, you know, in the same room as me so many times when I'd be watching wrestling. My, the way I think of my mom's relationship with wrestling is me watching it while she's in the room, her not paying attention, but occasionally like overhearing somebody cutting a, you know, a dumb Ultimate Warrior promo and her just kind of shaking her head and going, stupid (laughs) and then but like the visual of my dad kind of looking over his newspaper and being like yeah okay Uh uh-huh like all right but then also the same time him seeing something and just going like ow (laughs) like they know it's the dumbest possible thing in existence right but they'll also watch the schwarzenegger movie yeah which is also scripted nobody's going to mission impossible and going like fake (laughs) Like, I know this didn't happen. This mission's totally possible. Yeah, the guy, you know, ejector seating out of the, you know, f- to avoid Godzilla. It's not like, fake. <laughs> like, we know. We know it, right? We accept it. And so, but the idea, the beatings these guys take, the abuse these guys take is real enough. And our brains recognize that, but they still can't. So I love the way they handled the, is it fake mm-hmm. question. I like that little scene where they're getting ribs. But you're talking ribs, man. The rib of Kevin writing himself in this movie as a virgin. <laughs> what? Such a sweetie. Just the such a sweetheart. Seen, the way you've now seen Carrie Von Eric mouth kissing women. We don't know if those women were fourteen years old or twenty four <laughs> years old. He was mouth kissing every one of them on the way. The That's idea great. that it's just like, well, I've. I've never done anything with my penis before. Like, come on. 
Come on, buddy. No other woman has ever approached me about yeah, even such an act. You know, I thought that was a you know, it's like in the age where we where sex scenes don't really pack the punch they do anymore. I thought it was interesting to make sure we include a Oh yeah, this couple that's married for 40 years had sex. They just just so you know. They fuck. <laughs> Wrestlers are, you know, <laughs> I, you, I don't, I, and I didn't need scenes of Carrie Von Eric just like, you know, <laughs> giving it, right? I didn't need that, but I also love this idea that, you know, Kevin Von Eric's just is like, oh, shucks, you know, I've never been asked out by a girl, like, oh, no, huh? <laughs> exactly. Oh, you haven't? You haven't been asked out by a girl before? You had no idea that the women who are just screaming and, you know, they're running out of paper towels every week at the Sportatorium, you know? <laughs> the heat and the wetness produced in this place. You know the Sportatorium smelled crazy. Absolutely. From 82 to 84, right? They'd have a bear patrol just <laughs> the idea, them out of there. But I just love Kevin. Just like, oh, shucks. Just a little old me. A little old me. This mm-hmm. isn't like my friends and I trying to get the attention of Bastion Booger. But it's also a WWF yeah. house show. This is like, these boys knew they were studs. But Look, it's so funny how they also like go to like a, it's like they get recognized by one or two people where they go. And, and when they have sex, it's at this like college party that their brother's playing. And they're just like sitting on the couch, just like, look at my brother over there. Like, dude, I, as if they're not these, yeah, huge jacked crazy dudes that a, a movie i would everyone loved. would suddenly stop in their tracks when they enter the room yeah exactly right these boys were celebrities these were local not just low you know that was when a local celeb was also the biggest celebrity in your in your life these guys were pinups they were on t-shirts you yeah. know the von erics were mega you go watch the von erics t-shirt commercial they were hawking pizza and uh they had their uh, carry out his own uh, love line dude the carrie von eric 900 number <laughs> is a thing of beauty right but that's a cool level of celebrity man i've had long there was a jerry jerry lee lewis hotline mm. in like the 70s or 80s right jerry lee lewis is a megastar you don't get to kill your wives if you're like, I couldn't get away with killing a wife, uh-huh. right? I would be the book would be thrown at me, but Jerry Lee Lewis is gonna have a couple of wives that hit their head on the counter. Freak accident, one in a million shot, doc. Jerry Lee Lewis for his 900 number. The menu was read by Mel Tillis, who is an infamous stutterer. <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to to to, oh to hear God. about J- Jerry Lee Lewis, like, oh my God, this is costing people ninety five cents a minute. Don't you know this is costing me money, Jerry Lee? <laughs> but Carrie's commercial say it's no different. He's one of the Corys. Yeah, right. You know, and I you can ask me anything he's you a, want. He's a Texas Corey. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the Corys. The Texas idea of Corey beat. Feldman being like. Well, a girl's never talked to me. Corey Haim post license to drive. No, a girl hasn't talked to you. Come on. They also they they have the big montage where you finally see them like doing some coke and like taking steroids. Yeah, but that's never like an issue. Like, yeah, they, you know they what? never I... have that big like you got to go to rehab kind of moment. Yeah, they, they just are like. 
They also did coke, and yeah, sure, they had steroids. Sure, the steroids are on the bench next to them. It yes. is a documented fact that these Texas boys could party. Uh-huh. The beer consumed by I've heard there's many stories of people like giving giving Carrie Von Eric a ride during the messed up years, where it's just like this idea of like, you know, it's like somebody driving Kurt Cobain from the airport. Right, limo driver. They all got their stories. Yeah, Kurt was really messed up. Mm-hmm. In fact, maybe he was just tired, didn't want to talk to the guy driving him from the airport. Right, but all the stories of people driving Carrie Von Eric somewhere, and it would be him asking them to stop at a gas station for a six pack, and then two exits down the road asking him to stop at a gas station for another six pack. Mm. Like, just how would a man be able to? You don't know these kind, the level of partying these men can go through. So we get that perfect needle drop in the movie finer than the best scorsese needle drops and it's like when tom sawyer hits and that's our movie's montage that is like it's greater than push it to the limit i mean i've only seen like two movies in the theater this year but easily the best (laughs) movie moment in a theater this year was carrie von eric pumping iron looking back hearing the rush play hearing mike Put put the needle drop on and him just like flexing the bicep like this could work. But then and then, yeah, the great wrestling montage was some of the best stuff. And the camera's swinging around the ring and all the boys are in sync. And uh, I was I was feeling juiced. I was feeling like I just got an injection of something. It felt so cool. My it's my favorite part of the movie that I'm not a big rush guy, Mm -hmm. but. Tom Sawyer, as it's connected... Usually it's a red flag, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the movie dips a lot into 2112. And you're like, wow. I don't... <laughs> you know? You score a movie with Fly By Night? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sick as hell, right? Rush and the Kimonos? Obviously, it's cool. But this... Yeah, Carrie coming out to, to Tom Sawyer. The modern-day warrior, Carrie Von Erich. With his headband, bandana, his short robe, mm-hmm. the discus punch, you know. I do love the movie, you know, like, Gary's in the Olympics. His Olympic opportunity was robbed from him, you know. It's a great story, right? Even if the movie's not Carrie's story. Yeah. But that montage, it just connects. The the Rush montage. You know, it's, Scar- it's, it's Scarface playing with his own pet tiger. Yeah. <laughs> After right. his wedding, doing mountains of blow, right? It's it's the stuff movie montages are are made of. I love it. I love it so much. And yeah, that's when you see that's when you see guys like Gino Hernandez doing blow. You mm-hmm. know, Texas was a partying uh, territory. These boys could go, and at the same time, I don't care that we didn't get to see a lot of it. I don't need to see him doing doing drugs at a party. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of movie. Like, yeah, it, it, it didn't need to it be. It wasn't there. the we... like, usual rock star biopic. This was actually a movie that kind of seemed like it was turning things on its head every time you thought it was going to do something, uh, especially with the Ric Flair match at the end. Like You think Kevin's been through all this adversity. Now he's got his chance to come back and get his big shot at the title, and then he you know blows it. And it's like a very much like a turning, yeah, just turning that rocky kind of standard on its head yeah uh and i thought they did the same thing with like the drugs and stuff like yeah the drugs were there but that's not what caused the it doesn't show you that like that's the problem yeah 
Like, you know, this is part of the life. The drugs are the lurid detail of the story, but they're not usually like the important. It's it's always like a, but it's always cool to me that like, you know, I I really love the Strokes, and within our lifetime, the Strokes and that New York rock scene, like that's the big rock and roll movement in scene of our life. As odd as that may seem hmm. to think about, right? The Strokes, all those bands from New York, that was the last time that there was like major label bidding wars over bands, right? It's right. weird to think that it's the Strokes Interpol, the yeah, yeah, yeah's, <laughs> right? But really, like, that's it. That's like, that's our version of what it would have been like to be around the Ramones and, you know, Talking Heads and CBGB and all that stuff, right? Right. And it's cool that Albert Hammond Jr. somehow made all these was able to make these records while dealing with, like, a heroin addiction. (laughs) And it'd be funny if the story of the Strokes was just like, and none of them had ever had pussy before. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's it's absurd. They loved each other very much. But they were boys. But I would have been so happy with a two-hour Von Erichs that would have just been them playing touch football for two hours. Yeah. I would have loved a two-hour movie of them just filming pizza ads. The, The scene in the movie where Kevin Von Erich is failing his promo in the ba- in the wood paneled basement over and over and Loved over again it. and david's just making fun of him off camera i love it i would have taken a whole movie of that kind of stuff i i i loved every scene where they're eating thanksgiving dinner at every meal <laughs> yeah in this movie they're especially the first hour it is like insane the amount of food they're eating you imagine the amount, the of, amount food. of eating they're doing on camera i would have watched a two-hour movie of of a bunch of bulked out Von Eric boys drinking big old glasses of milk. <laughs> Give it to me. I love just more tyranny bringing more milk. <laughs> just, every, like... just big carafes of milk <laughs> for her that, giant That, that sons. opening breakfast scene, it's like there's a big bowl of scrambled eggs, a plate of bacon. They're, they keep grabbing more stuff. And then she brings out a fucking biggest plate of biscuits <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. For like four dudes, there's like 19 biscuits on this table. <laughs> yeah, and they're and they're all like 20 year old boys just eating this family. I house remember eating home. a lot at that time, but Jesus Christ, every I, meal was Thanksgiving. It I was love so of funny. all the the Mike stereotypes that make it. In, you know, there's little hints because Mike didn't want to be a wrestler. Mike wasn't as big as his brothers. Mike yeah. was. He wanted Mike, to play rock and roll. He wanted. He wanted to get on the production side of things. They hinted that mm. in one scene where he's talking about how cool the program looks, and Fritz is like, "I don't care how the, <laughs> right. the TV looks." You know, so that's he. Mike was pushed into this because David died, and they needed they needed new stars. Mm. You know, Mike didn't want to be a wrestler, and so he didn't wrestle nearly. You know, he wrestled a few hundred matches, whereas brothers wrestled over a thousand. Right, but I love the very real thing that Mike was like the eater of the family. It's reflected in the Pizza Inn commercials where Carrie and Kevin are like amazed at how my brothers taught me how to wrestle, but I taught them how to eat. Yeah, I love the little guy, and in the movie, he's just like. Bring on the biscuits, you know, like just too. shoveling down the food. He's eating all the bacon. Uh, I love when they go to pick him up and he's like, I'm starving. Let's get a burger. You know, it's like the, and it's like Lebowski. Like you see them all in the truck eating <laughs> oh, burgers. So I wanted good. a burger so bad. That looked like a good it. burger. God, him eating that double All the food looked stack. insane. And even when he like kind of goes brain dead after his coma, like Maura Tierney brings him like the perfect commercial sandwich. Just oh, like, man. wow. The food. They're all such A plus. 
I love these boys, and I could have watched them just be brothers. I don't have that. You got a brother, yeah. right? But the idea of growing up with just surrounded by brothers. And you're I, all, yeah, I think it's different with one brother versus like five. Just an army of brothers. Enough yeah. to have like to to tour with your own five on five basketball team. Yeah. Like that's this just the bond that this, these boys had. Yeah. Being just yeah, this connection. But not just that. It's it's no different than if your brothers were in like a family band. It is the Jacksons. Mm-hmm. You know, you are just the bond that they have. Again, they could have made wrestling the biggest backdrop ever. Just seeing these boys hang out together. The love that you must have living in a house with one bathroom. While also being the biggest celebrities in the metropolitan area of Dallas. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird world that none of us can comprehend. You know, this is a it's a different life. It's a different kind of celebrity. It's none of us would be able to handle it. Any band that goes from, you know, Lin, you know, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks made a album together that nobody listened to. And then they joined Fleetwood Mac and then they become the biggest band humanity had created. How do you adjust to that mentally? How? It's a miracle more of these people do not die tragic deaths. Right. But now, was there an idea of, of a curse before like David and them started dying? Because they kind of start the movie with Zach Efron having that. Like, I couldn't tell you about, when like, the idea. Ever since I was little, they said our family was cursed. And obviously, once four out of your five brothers die, a curse does feel appropriate. But. Yeah, I, I thought I it couldn't was... tell you when the concept of the Von Erich curse happened. Yeah. It seems like a thing that happened in postscript. Yeah, yeah. Looking back, it's just like, well, that was some that was lousy luck. Had to be a curse at play. Right. You know, when the Chicago Cubs blew the World Series, I don't think it became curse talk until it had been another forty years or so without one, right? At a certain point mm-hmm. you feel cursed. So I don't know the validity of when the Von Erich curse began to be but it's no different than the the Hart family curse. You know, maybe it's just how there's not a lot of happy endings when you get involved in pro wrestling. Yeah. It's tough to put your body through that and come out like, but everything worked out fine. You know, if you're a retired catcher, you're going to walk badly. Mm-hmm. You know, your body can't put up with this. I've I've been friends with guys that are, you know, indie wrestlers who never wrestled 300 dates a year like rick flair and it's just like yeah their backs are shot their knees are shot right uh, my knees work pretty good so far even though i played sports and did skateboarding jumps on concrete right overall lucked out pretty pretty good <laughs> so far in my body right if i was doing back bumps no, over and over i didn't wrestle yeah it's like i just normal life yeah just getting up it's already like if i don't stretch my neck and back properly like i'm gonna be stiff when i'm waking up from my my morning pee you know like the amount and then me just doing intentional back bumps onto a hard mat like i (laughs) can't imagine my body adjusting to this right it doesn't make sense but uh the idea of the curse you know there's a thing that happens in a family when like a tragic death occurs where death almost becomes like a real normalized thing Mm. you know if if you had a family of brothers and you had a brother die at the age of 25 of a burst intestine 
you know, you don't, you think of death in a different way from that point forward. It's personal. It's a thing you've now witnessed and a thing you recognize could cut down somebody in their prime. Mm -hmm. And so I think any accidental death, anything, any death that can be labeled tragic in a family, I don't think there's a middle ground option of, and then things proceeded somewhat normally. Either it's the event that tears your entire family apart, or it's the event that pulls your entire family together closer than before. If you're, if you have a baby and your baby dies, it's either a thing that's just like, this was the time, this was the point where our mar- we became different, separate people. Right. Or you band together and you pull ahead, right? So you talk about a curse. And I don't know, well, yeah. man. I think you get so used to living as a brother. But I think, well... And yeah. it just becomes, suddenly you recognize that like, oh, we're not going to be like this forever. We thought we had more time. You know, it becomes real that any of this could be taken away. But then when it started to become an every, like an odd year occurrence, mm-hmm. an every other year thing, how do you, how do you not stop that? How do you stop that snowball? At that it, point, it's just yeah. out of your hands, right? That's what I've heard too. Because, uh, yeah, in reality, in, in the movie, it's there's two suicides. In the reality, it was three, right? Yeah. So I, I've heard that too. Once you've known or had a relative like you're more susceptible to that because you're thinking about it all the time (laughs) right and all that stuff so yeah this movie does kind of have just that thing of you could see kevin trying to break away from that trying not to get swept up in it while every brother gets swept up into this mindset that that destroys them yeah essentially this is a family filled with with bad death you know they do mention the oldest son jack who died when he was six it was a fluke. It's the kind of thing that can happen to any six-year-old child. You slip and fall, and you know it was like an accidental drowning. Oh yeah, hmm. it's a thing that can yeah, happen. They don't say why in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- he likes. I think it was like electrocuted mildly, but fell in a a puddle, oh, and geez. like drowned in a shallow puddle. Hmm. Any any number. We've talked before about how as children we just narrowly avoided death. I went face first into the corner of a coffee table. Mm-hmm. Could have, could have been that. Could have been it. Age of four, done. Died by coffee table corner. Could yeah. have happened, right? I got, I got pulled out of a pool when I was four or five by an uncle as I was drowning. Yes. Yeah, man. I felt <laughs> like yeah. The courthouse adjacent to my work that used to have big fountains. Now they're flower beds. I fell into that fountain. I still have the memory of my mom pulling me out of that thing. Mm-hmm. Right children escape death there's i'm sure there's been tons of times where a baby fell off a thing and as a parent you have that like (laughs) (laughs) that could have been the worst phone call of my life to my wife Uh, right but hey we're gonna we're not gonna tell mom about this one (laughs) you know all right we're okay we all have that moment as uh you know anybody that's a brother you know i have a, a younger sister and it's like you're roughhousing and there's that moment where you end up, you realize it goes too far and they're about to cry. And so you start kind of improvising like, we don't want to, we don't want to hear mom and dad to hear about this, yep. right? Let's uh, we're good. We're still feeling. fun. We're yep. like, you're, and then you're like basically a clown just trying to get your, your sibling to laugh through like tears, right? Cause they bump their head. And these are all experiences we, we can go through. We've escaped all sorts of things. And then once this family can't escape things. You just get to realize, like, 
it's probably hard to escape that mindset of like, oh, this is inevitable. Yeah. This is going to happen and I can't prevent this. And it's, but once these brothers start, yeah, you know, Mike suffered, you know, was in a coma, suffered toxic shock and had that dis that feeling of disappointment of not being his brothers. Mm-hmm. That's a tough situation for Ozzy Canseco to not be Jose Canseco of uh, Mike Maddox not being Greg Maddox. Mm-hmm. That's got to be weird. It's got to be weird if your brother's like a big <laughs> megastar and similar things are expected of you and you just weren't b- born with quite the same blend of genetics. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the interest level and just this pressure. But And you're not given the opportunity to just do what you want. Yeah, it's like, not an it's, option for you yeah, to live exactly. your life. He, you know, he literally is told, "No, you can't go play the concert." You know, yeah, he's he's basically forbidden to do anything other than the family business. Yeah, it was never told. To, you know, my grandfather was a dentist, my father is a dentist, and they worked together. The sign is still on their building. My dad's selling it next month. He's oh, wow. finally retiring. The sign still, the old one sign, Ritz and Ritz Family Dentistry. Mm. Not once was it brought up to me that just like you gotta carry on the Ritz dentistry name. It was sure. never mentioned to me. My grandpa retired early from dentistry. My dad does he got sick of dentistry years ago. He doesn't <laughs> he's not passionate about dentistry, you know? I don't know how hard my grandpa pushed him into it, or it was just a thing where he saw like this is a good way to make it's right. an honest way to make a living, right? People Easy need dentists. We got this established business. I don't really know the story behind it, you know? Hmm. But I it wasn't pushed on me. Well, the Von Erich boys didn't have a choice. Yeah. It was pushed on them. Not only was it the family business, they were the things that were going to push the business to They a were the new, product. Yeah, they were the product. <laughs> exactly. They had to perform. They didn't just run the business. They yeah, they were the the merchandise. Their their beloved brother David dies. The show go, must go on. You know, right? You know, if if your bassist dies, you can have the discussion whether to replace him and continue the band. You know, when uh, when the one guy had a, I don't know, the drummer for REM, Bill Barry had like oh, a, yeah. a, he suffered like a some serious aneurysm. Like oh, yeah. REM made the album with the drum machine. You know, they had to continue without Bill Barry. Foo right? Fighters are still playing. Yeah, Foo Fighters are doing it. Right? Yeah, it's it would be a weird thing. It's. I guess the more people you have, the more odds are the show will go on. If I tragically die, from <laughs> from the afterlife, if you one week later come back with a, so it's come to this. It's just like, who's this asshole? Who'd he get? How long did he have this guy scouted? Oh, man. Suddenly laser discourse returns. It's like, motherfucker. That would probably be what happens. Are, this guy bounced back like a week later. Yep. But like, we can't judge how people mourn. It would take me a few minutes to go like, do I use the same windscreen <laughs> my dead friend used? Yeah, do but, I buy a new $5 windscreen? Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, but we can't really judge how people no. mourn. And so the idea of still having to go out and wrestle after your brother died from wrestling. And David Von Erich, it was just a thing where it was an old school thing. You know, you you were booked to go to Japan on this tour. 
You know, he's been to Japan before. We have a reputation. This is a territorial agreement. You got to fulfill your bookings. You know, you, he could have been saved if it wasn't this dedication to pro wrestling. But yeah. there's also kind of, yeah, there's an interesting thread in this movie of Zac Efron having the second older brother syndrome of wanting to take care of everyone and fail. And like he is a part of the failure to take care of these three brothers who die. He sees David throwing up blood doesn't stop him from going to Japan. Says, hey, you should see a doctor, but doesn't actually yeah. make him do anything. You know, he gets Mike in the ring, trains him, and is there when, you know, is, is kind of there with Mike through his rise and fall. And then gets the phone call from Carrie, you know, that know, he knows Carrie's in a bad place and isn't there in time. Shows up to the house just as Carrie shoots himself in the yard. Yeah. And um, I just thought that was an interesting kind of like thread. Like he obviously feels some responsibility for all of these things. How could you not at a certain point? It's not a fair thing to put on yourself. But in any, you know, we always ask, what more could could I have done? Mm -hmm. You tell, even if the rational part of your brain knows that there, you did what you could do knowing that now there's no coming back. Now the thing that happened that you can't get back, you can't get Carrie back. Once Carrie shot himself through the heart, you know, mm. that, turmo- that turmoil of like, I knew something was happening, but what more? What more could you have done? Once all your brothers, once your family is thinking that you're in- on this inevitable path, but as humans, as empathetic humans, we cannot help, no matter how irrational it is, ask ourselves if there was something more we could have done. Yeah, That's the kind of thing that will eat you up. And that's why a lot of humans get eaten up. That's why we <laughs> suffer the way we do, because we can't help asking these questions. Yeah, and you're probably a sociopath if you don't ask those questions. Yes, <laughs> precisely. And the idea of feeling these things... It would be easier if you didn't feel, if you couldn't feel. But mm-hmm. the tragedy comes to the people that, that can feel. You know, Mike felt like a failure. He wasn't able to live his life, and he felt like a failure, and that's what led to him committing suicide. This boy is putting himself out, uh, putting himself on camera, and, you know, he was essentially retarded. He was in a coma. He was not himself. I didn't... I showed you a lot of fun commercials of boys being boys and them right. goofing around. Like, I didn't want to watch the Mike press conference when he looks like death. Yeah, it's very jarring in the movie when he's kind of a normal, geeky kid. Yeah. Gets injured, goes into a coma, and then when he comes out, he is a, just a different disa- de- developmentally disabled person. And that's that's what happened. Yeah. That is what happened. And But that idea of still feeling guilty for that. Somehow that you're letting that you're letting the family down, and it's Kevin who sits with him at the table, right? It's not Fritz. Fritz is off to the side, but like when Michael's on camera, yeah, it's Kevin who's sitting there introducing him, speaking for the family. Yeah, um, I just yeah, that, to me that was interesting, and even you know even Kevin is the last one who sees Carrie in the movie before Carrie rides off on the motorcycle and loses his foot in the accident. Oh yeah, like he is. You know, all the all these things begat each th- each other, right? Yeah. You know, when when Mike uh, overdosed on pills, 
you know, a couple of years later, it was the youngest brother, Chris, who was not born with the physical gifts of his brothers. He topped out at 5'4". How weird would that That's be? That's got to be tough. To be the literal runt. The literal runt. You're the, the last family. kid, not just the shortest one. He had like brittle bone disease. Just like little... Imagine your brother being Carrie Von Eric, and you're the kid with progeria. <laughs> right. You're like, you can't throw... You can't a, even wrestle with your You can't brothers. throw a Nerf ball at your brother without his arm snapping. Oh, man. You know? Yeah. But to want to just be... To keep up with your brothers. And... But Chris was closest with Mike. Mike was the fourth kid. Mike was smaller than the others. He was the next oldest to him. The next small... You know? Mm-hmm. He was closest with Mike. Now, without Mike... Like, what did he have? And so then he kills himself. And, yeah, the movie handles... Car- that got the biggest like oh shit reaction there were gasps the way the movie handled carrie's mm. foot and boy the, in the movie they took oh, the, the foot yeah. they took carrie's whole damn leg in the movie so carrie had you know he had i've watched matches where carrie is on another planet another plane of existence fighting sunset flipping a man that wasn't there stumbling to his ring Tying up his boots together, you know, like tying up his headphones within his boots, not standing up and almost breaking his neck. <laughs> so zonked out on on pills or uppers, whatever. Right, because he has he's wrestling with one foot. Yeah, well, or so when he what half a foot? What he what, what really? Happened? Yeah, so the movie really paints it out as him winning the world title from Flair at Texas Stadium at yeah. the first annual David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. It's like it happens that night, <laughs> you know. It seems in, like, yeah. in real life, it was three or four years later, and I believe, uh, it was just like Mike getting rushed back into the public eye after toxic shock. Carrie injured his foot, got surgery on it, came back too quickly from rehab, mm-hmm. and then did damage so bad that an amputation had to occur. Oh, okay. It was not like he lost his foot under a truck right, in a collision, right. right? This was a rehabable injury, but the longer the star of the company is not performing, yeah. the the more your family business is not turning a profit. So Kerry rushed himself back in the ring, and the foot did, you know, irreversible damage was done. But the amputation was, I believe he still had the heel and maybe a couple inches of foot. Okay. So it was like the toes and the first several inches of foot. Yeah. Had to come off. The movie it is like, what he's out there on a whole new leg out there mm-hmm. learning to walk again. He's a yeah, he's a learning pirate. how to lock up and imagine how hard it is to hit the ropes with the with a wooden foot in there. There are so many stories. And the movie touches on it a little bit. I think Kevin says something when he's out there in the ring with his brother like, you know, you can't keep this a secret. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was kept a secret. They did not this this is a proud family. And for such a proud family, you don't want the pity. You don't want to be yeah. the pity party. You don't want to be looked down upon. You still want to be viewed That's as not Fritz's style. You want to be viewed as the superheroes, the representatives, the yellow rose of Texas, the modern day warrior. Mm-hmm. You don't want word getting out that Carrie Von Eric has no foot. There no, are I stories of this. Of him never taking his boots off. If the Von Erics are having a pool party, Carrie Von Erics jumping into the pool with his boots on. 
How is so much water spilling out of that one boot? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why is he screaming in pain every time he's on his right leg? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, so, the timeline of this, the fact that he went back and wrestled, Kerry wrestled until 93. Yeah. He wrestled his two full years of in WWF after the amputation. He's, I mean, I would say he's the biggest star of the brothers. Far and away. You've got the action figure here. I do have my my Kerry Von Erich the Hasbro over here, the Texas Tornado. Um, no, Kerry Von Erich was Looks a like mega two star. two intact feet on that figure. Yeah, well, we don't know what's <laughs> under that uh, that boot, you know. And it has the tornado punch. It doesn't have the uh, the the loaded boot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, Kerry wrestled three hundred matches plus in two years with the WWF. I can't imagine the physical strain he was under. How could you not develop a painkiller addiction? Right. When you're wrestling without all your foot and the mental stress of keeping this a secret and just keep the WWF schedule was strenuous. They work these guys like dogs. Yeah, and they don't exactly have like the support system you would need to cope with something like that. You know, in wrestling... Not then, anyway. If you go out with an injury, there's dozens of guys dying to fill in your spot. The longer you're out, the harder it is to reclaim your spot when you come back. Mm -hmm. And Kerry pushed it, and he pushed it, because you're in this mindset, you're in this universe, your body's just adapting to another thing. But the movie really did undersell what a megastar Kerry Von Erich was. It wasn't his story. He was just part of this story. I still couldn't believe they didn't show Texas Stadium. Hmm. You, I showed you the footage of Flair from that Parade of Champions. It's a scene, man. Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody pretty, pretty wild. knew they had to show Live Aid. Mm-hmm. The defining performance of Queen, right? That Live Aid. I thought Bohemian Rhapsody was one of the biggest piles I've sat through in the last several years, right? I got emotional. As emotional as I've gotten in any movie during the, the Wembley Stadium scene. See, that Live Aid scene, it's, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't believe they didn't show Texas Stadium. I couldn't believe. I can't believe they've been handed such a gift as heaven needed a champion. And you don't feature it. But it's it doesn't seem real. Yeah, that's you the know, thing. It's, Heaven it's needed a champion those, seems... unbelievable. It seems be beamed true. from another universe. This 12-year-old girl singing what I think is a sincerely beautiful song. Yes, the end of the clip does come from the announcement. But the announcement that this single is available for sale <laughs> at six convenient locations around yeah. Texas Stadium. But the beauty of the David Von Erich video... Heaven Needed a Champion sounds like such a cheesy title, but something about that line, and that's why they took you, you know, oh, God, these these boys were family mm-hmm. to a lot of people that didn't know them. Parasocial relationships are just a thing. Modern times, we all know too much about celebrities now. This barriers have been crossed. People thought they knew the Von Erich boys. Right. You know, they were part of the community. They lost one of their own when they lost David. And the big decline of world class happened when it became tougher and tougher to promote these boys as the the good, God-fearing, 
nice boys. Too many stories got out. The deaths became too sad. It became a scene you didn't want to be associated with. Yeah. That first David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions, which is a series of words that I love saying together. (laughs) I love, I love the name of this show. And reports range from 32,000 to 50,000. You saw the crowd. That's an absurd amount of people to be out watching a pro wrestling show. To be watching Carrie Von Erich press slamming Ric Flair. Yeah. Right? The pop that he got when when Tom Sawyer hits. The screams from the girls, right? By the time they did the fourth parade of champions, just three years later, when it was now billed as the David and Mike Von Erich Memorial Parade, that show did 6,000 people. Yeah. It was still mm-hmm. at Texas Stadium, but the third deck wasn't occupied. Most of the second deck wasn't occupied, you know. Suddenly it became a scene that you didn't want to be right. attached to. There's too much sadness. The cool thing became not uncool, just became a, a bummer. It, uh, yeah, there's no way that you could say that Heaven needed a champion and that's why they took Mike. You just, you just wasn't <laughs> yeah, there. you can't. Just wasn't heaven, there. heaven needed the boy who could put away the most pizza in buffet. <laughs> Champion eater, yeah. Oh, Mike. Get, heaven needed an eater. Mike <laughs> walking away with the three to go bug. Oh, they're for dad. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? And all the endless soup salad and muffins. And muffins. You could eat. You go back. You want your slice, and it's thin slice, and it's good. <laughs> you just tearing apart your garlic bread. Yeah, man. But you know these brothers were. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, the David, the forged David autographs mm. being sold. Like Fritz was running a business, and the wrestling business is at its best shady. Yeah. But when you're Cut still through. marketing your dead sons, and you don't really know that it's. You convince yourself that it's the right thing to do because it's the family business and what we have to do. And that's, you know, the movie balances that. So you don't see necessarily the highs. You don't see the Live Aid performance. Right. You don't see that impact of of this was the peak. That was the biggest match, you know, in Texas wrestling history. Kerry winning the NWA title from, from Flair. You know, that was humongous. And, you know, when you get that big... You don't then put 80,000 people in a stadium. You're far more likely to end up with 6,000 in a stadium. WCW was the biggest promotion in the world in 1997. By 2001, they were bought for pennies on the dollar by WWF. You couldn't have foreseen four years later that these high times would be coming to an end. Right. You don't, you, most people aren't thinking about the come down. You know, you're too busy on this impossible ride. And Kevin's the survivor, and Kevin was going to be the, the the way this story was told. And it should be told from Kevin's point of view, because that's the only part that's not sad. He's the one that made it out. He made yeah. it out. He escaped. He is able to live in beautiful Hawaii with all of his kids. Yeah. And all of his grandkids and even his mom for a long time. Like he he got the dream. He got to fulfill the dream. Carrie was a megastar. Carrie was a bigger star than than 
any of them ever got to be, right? But he could have been Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Same way Mudhoney could have been Nirvana. Yeah, you know exactly. We don't, but Nirvana was the ones that got to be Nirvana. You know, the Strokes got to be the Strokes. You know, some other band could have done it. Sure, I guess Jonathan Fire Eater almost was the the one, but uh, didn't happen. That's uh, right. That's the whole plot of uh, that documentary, Dig. Yeah, right about Brian Jonestown Massacre and yeah. uh, Dandy Warhol. Wasn't it? It started about the <laughs> Jonestown Massacre, and it's just like, oh, this is the story. But these guys got popular. Yeah, yeah. this is the story to talk about. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, but he, and, and I thought the uh, yeah the the whole movie kind of comes to that culmination of he's lost everything feeling, and uh, to not find redemption in the ring, but like with your sons and your family. And just that final kind of shot of them playing football. Yeah. And throwing the football around with his kids. And the simple joy that uh, that he finds in that. That I think was like a very powerful moment. There is... I can't believe... I think I've said I'm shocked at how... So yeah, you know, Kerry Von Erich, it really, it really rushed and condensed his whole timeline yeah. as a person. You know... Him winning the NWA title, and then like 20 minutes later, he's like shooting himself in the heart, basically. This man wrestled for 10 years after winning that title belt off Flair. And while, due to his amputation and due to his substance abuse problems, he couldn't be trusted to be the face of a company, of a national company. If he had straightened up and flew right, he would have been Hogan. He had Mm -hmm. the relatability. He had the charisma. He had the look, the ability. He was an excellent pro wrestler. He was an excellent babyface pro wrestler. He was a star. And his WWF run was a success. Two years, and he was wrestling on top. Gave him the Intercontinental title, wrestling on pay-per-views. And that was him as kind of a shell of his 1983 to 84 glory, right? Right. But that ability was still there. And there's this beautiful line, though. In the movie. The thing that I can't believe. So, yeah, I get the, why you, like, uh, minimize Carrie's story, right? I wish they had found a better way to introduce the death of these brothers by every one of them having one scene where you go, where you're doing the bloody cough into the rag, and the next scene, it's like, David died. Yeah. You have one scene where Carrie's just like, I'm not going to make it, Kevin. Next scene, Carrie died. You know, they're all set, they're all so weirdly telegraphed to, the, to say, the audience that yeah, for for a movie about guys whose whole career is not telegraphing their moves the movie really <laughs> telegraphs what they're what they're gonna do i think i'm dying kevin <laughs> carrie died the next day like what i'm going out for a ride kevin carrie lost his whole leg yeah that night you knew as soon as he says he's going out for a ride he's something bad is going to happen yeah you saw but, that coming you know that scene it's it's cheesy in a way, but imagine wrestling in front of whatever the number is. Let's go high. Let's say 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. Imagine being in a band, any kind of performer, being the center of attention for 50,000 people, having them hanging on your every movement, not just performing for these people, knocking it out of the park. Right. You are not only the biggest Killing star... It. In your corner of the world, you deserve to be the biggest star. I don't know what it's like to sit in your dining room 
at the table where you ate breakfast with your family after the events of that day. How does your life seem real mm-hmm. at that point? Yeah, you have a few few tall boys. How do you come down from that night after night? How does that rush stop? And so him just sitting there and him, there's this little touch where he's looking at this belt. This thing that just, man, doesn't seem real. Title changes weren't a super common thing then. Hogan mm-hmm. held the WWF title for five years. Bob Backlund was the WWF champion from 78 to 84. That's weird. Dominant. You know, Bruno Sammartino, you, you were running the territory for mm-hmm. years, right? And he's sitting there, he's looking at this title, and it still has the Ric Flair nameplate on it. You know, they haven't put on the Carey nameplate. In reality, he lost back the title to Flair like three weeks later. Oh, yeah. You know, this was... When we watched the match, I'm saying, you can't script this better. Yeah, he lost (laughs) his foot that night. You got to lose the title back, right? The the bad luck of this, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, you couldn't script it better. David was going to get that title shot. In reality, all three of the brothers wrestled Flair a dozen times each. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, Jerry Lawler breaks Andy Kaufman's neck, they ran that same match in every territory. There was not one event where that happened. Andy Kaufman got his neck broken by Lawler in 20 different matches. Yeah. You know, they ran this around the horn. People weren't, there was no internet. Nobody was calling up sharing notes saying the same thing happened in my, <laughs> you know, Paul Stanley fires rockets out of his guitar and knocks a light fixture loose in every arena across the country, right? He's doing that in every stadium that Kiss plays in, right? But we didn't know then. Mm-hmm. We were sh- we were protected. We didn't know these. It's a simpler things. time. It's a simpler time, right? And so, yeah. But Carrie, like looking at that nameplate, like you're entering a new level of stardom, and. I don't know how any of them make it out alive. I, I'm surviving. I'm an accountant, and I still feel some days where I'm just like, made it through this week. Yeah, I got very few of the burdens of the grander world on my shoulders, but we're all just out here making it. In the, I believe it, it showed up in uh, the documentary I mentioned earlier, Heroes of World Class. And I can't believe they just didn't lift the line verbatim because it is one of the most gut-punch lines. And the, the line Zac Efron delivers is just the weak version of this real line. There's something in Hoop Dreams when, you know, we watched Hoop Dreams in school and, you know, these two boys, neither of them made it in mm-hmm. basketball, right? And there's something, you know, the guy says that, you know, are you going to remember me when you're famous? It's like, will you remember me if I'm not famous? Like, oh, yeah, right. Becoming an athlete is million to one. And the the real line he used in Heroes of World Class, Kevin Von Erich says, I used to have five brothers. Now I'm not even a brother. Is just brutal. That is just, that hits different. Yeah. You know, how can you imagine the best thing in your life, the only reason you want to do this thing is because it affords you a time to hang out with your brothers. If you have four brothers and your career is just you getting to do something with your brothers, and by the time you're in your mid-30s, you have no brothers. 
how that's crazy yeah how do you how do you exist what is your identity in this world now that the your entire life's identity no longer exists mm-hmm. and yet to millions of people who grew up watching you they still remember you like this i can't imagine and I find this movie so hard to judge because the real story <laughs> is too personal. It's so much weirder you, right? and grander and more personal than you can ever portray it. Yeah. It's an unreal story. This would have been a really interesting like 10-hour, you know, HBO or or high-end series in that in that regard. Isn't it nuts how many drawn drama. how many true crime series get dragged out now just to yeah. fill content this is a story that you could have just talked about for hours and hours and, and hours and shown the matches and 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 yeah really gotten into taking the time to do that yeah the the level of celebrity how you can be in a city a metropolitan area of two and a half million people but be able to connect on a literal small town level it's it's special and yeah, we're lucky. Kevin's lucky he made it out, right? And mm-hmm. I'm so happy for him that it is also shocking to me that his boys wrestle. Oh yeah. You know? Carrie Von Eric, they glossed over this in the in the movie, he had two daughters. Hmm. He had two daughters that were like six and five. When he, in the movie it's just like I want to start a family like Kevin. It's like, no, he had daughters that were old enough to have memories of their dad. Beautiful girl, Lacey Von Eric. Hmm. She's funny. But she's, uh, there's uh, filmed footage of her at conventions going around telling other people, you know, other wrestling families, you know, like, oh, yeah, my family's all dead. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. You want my autograph? Want my autograph? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all my family's dead. You only know me because my dad's dead. Hmm. Like, wow. It's, my dad had died at the age of 35 from dentistry. Nobody would be like, oh, yeah, I'm a dentist. You might know my dead, famous dentist father. <laughs> it's not a thing. You'll know my name. Yeah, oh, you know the Ritz dentistry name. Yeah, yeah I'm uh, the new generation, right? But So I don't know that I can properly gauge this movie. From what I can tell, people seem to love it. It's it's a wide... I liked it. Yeah, you were into this movie. You don't... I, the story like I, said, does, I thought it was a good movie. I didn't think it was great, but... I think it is... I had to wipe away some tears at the end. Yeah. And I... It's hard for me to not see it as a missed opportunity. Right. There's so much of the joy they could have shown. Again, a movie of just these boys being boys. The Iron Claw 2, man. I... Back from more. Oh, man. A scene (laughs) I loved so much. And just the idea, the smile that was on my face. When these boys, not just picking up burgers that they're wolfing in their car. When they're tubing... Oh yeah! Oh man! That was great. Put me out in a lake with an inner tube with my floating cooler, but them just doing the little like the little hand swims, you know, to like get the cooler catch (laughs) catching up to your tube. Girls like yelling at you from the dock as you crack open another one. Like doesn't get better. Yeah, doesn't get better than that. And so, I don't know what the general consensus is on that scene at the end where, you know. He's joining his brothers on the other side. Oh, I was going to ask you what you thought of, yeah, the, the movie suddenly going full, like, depiction of heaven. 
Yeah. After being this very realistic drama, then it's all of a sudden like, we're on the other side, all brothers together in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Carrie's suicide note talked, you know, the, I think more than one of their suit. God, when you just talk about more than one, I think multiple suicide notes written by the family. You know, it mentioned just like, I just want to be with my brothers. I can't blame them mm-hmm. for thinking that. Right. And, you know, coming out of there, there was a mixture. You know, I saw it with some, some of my boys again. Sure. We showed up in our Freebirds sequel. I was in the Terry Gordy uh, sequined Confederate flag chaps and vest. Beautiful. Uh, you know, Jason was in the big Michael Hayes pull-out robe. Uh, yeah, it looks good. The stars and Tim bars, his, right? Uh, nature Boy robe on. <laughs> yeah. Tim would be the Terry Gordy, <laughs> for <laughs> being honest. The rest of us are all Mikes at best. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, That's it, man. At best, Mike. But it's a crew of mics, and so you know, amongst the boys, there was like, I don't know if we needed to go full on, like, everything seemed a little bit photo, fo- a little shinier, a little sheen, you know, the depiction of showing up and like, hey, the brothers are all still here, we got this other, especially yeah. little Jack, yeah, little Jack showing is still there, right? Jack. I kind of loved it, you know, it's That's maybe when it the is, tears start. maybe it is That's cheesy, but like, yeah, god. These boys just needed a break. You yeah. know, I just, you just want something to happen, right? Something good to happen to them. And that shot of them just all closing in on a hug, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It might have been cheesy, but like, I'm glad they, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad. I've heard of some scenes that were cut. I would have liked some. There's a scene apparently when, you know, Mike's in the hospital and Holt McElhaney went to the church chapel and it's just like, why is this happening? Why my family? Why us? But that I like pretty cheesy, yeah. Yeah, but oh, I have no doubt Holt killed it. Yeah, but this scene is cheesy, and it got me at the same time, right? And yeah, there's a lot more I could have wanted out of this movie, and I think you can give this idea to a dozen different talented directors and get a totally different movie. Mm-hmm. And this is the one we got. And this is the story we got. And it's not like we're going to get that miniseries now. And so part Maybe, of me well, views it as a missed opportunity for, like, we could have seen more. I'm glad I got to see the recreation of Live Aid. Right. I would have loved to see a recreation. A lot of people shit on the guy they got to do Flair in this movie. Oh, I love the Ric Flair in this movie. And that's why I told people, like, I've seen... I've shown you some Rick. I showed you the Ric Flair promo building yeah. up the Christmas match to carry. I don't know if I've seen a better pro wrestling promo than that. You show if you, you put an actor's uh, Academy Award montage next to Ric Flair in, in his eight hundred dollar <laughs> yeah. suit in those mirror shades, holding that belt, not missing a second. It's like Arlie Ermy ripping into somebody in Full Metal Jacket the way he comes after Carrie Von Eric, right? But I could tell the audience that I saw it with, who have no idea who Ric Flair is, who don't know the intricacies of how great a Flair promo is, like, that guy's promo got over. It was a good promo. Like, him coming into the locker room afterwards telling Kevin, like, oh, we're going to run this again. Mm-hmm. Where's the nearest bar? Like, where's where can I talk to some Fort Worth stewardesses? Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I think it's a, I think it's a, if nothing else, it's a really, 
it's uh it's cool to see that this story is being told like 40 years after because how many people on the street are going to know the name von eric or anything about this story yeah you know it's like people will know who the rock is or stone cold or the hulk you know hulkster but uh yeah for these guys to get their time in the in the spotlight here yeah. I, I can't think That's of another worthy. wrestling story that could be told. And now people, yeah, I don't, it's, we're far enough removed that, and since wrestling was regional then, in our area, Von Erichs weren't touring out here. Yeah. We had different local stars. You know, we got people used to talk about Kinji Shibuya and Pat Patterson wrestling at the Cow Palace. Like, different people grew up in with different guys as their name. You know, my... Uh, you know, you grew up in Wisconsin. You knew who the Crusher was. Mm-hmm. You know, regional stars were regional stars. And now people are going to, more people than ever, potentially, are going to know the Von Eriks. And then in 10 years, I don't know who the next wrestling biopic's going to be about. I don't want to see the Rock biopic, though. Yeah. Well, I don't want to see the... You cri- tuned out of the Young Rock. No. I don't want to see enough. a Chris Benoit biopic. I know, exactly. I don't That's... want it. Chris yeah. Benoit was an interesting man. He was a Canadian, a soft-spoken Canadian who got into lifting weights and eventually murdered his family. I don't need the story. I lived it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, he wasn't an interesting guy. The Von Erichs were. There's some. There's more there. Mm-hmm. This could have been any family. This could have been their boys being pushed into football. This could have been boys being pushed into their family drywall business. It just happened to be that boys getting pushed into something where every woman in the greater Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth area wanted to be with these boys, and every man wanted to be these boys, <laughs> right? That's how it happened. I'm glad we got it. I don't know how my thoughts are going to change, but mm-hmm. I'm, I was happy I got to go to a movie theater where it was hard to find four seats together. And see this with my friends, right? You know, with a bunch of wide range of ages. People yeah. there on date night. Teens there because they're out for Christmas break. They're all learning about the Von Erics. Hats off to all the, the people in this movie. I thought the casting was great. I loved all the... A lot of the wrestling. Whoever they got to be the Harley Race. Mm. My God. This man moved like Harley Race. He had that same skinny arms round hardened beer gut belly of Harley race. I don't know how good the Michael Hayes was or the Gordy was, you know, whatever. I love the recreations. I love how the sportatorium looked. I love this movie on a base level for so many reasons. I hope it gets some award notice. I want to see Holt get some. They love when people fuck up their bodies. Zac Efron looks like a guy who messed up his body. (laughs) Exactly. You should get some uh, recognition just for that. Yeah. Imagine the teen idol. The beautiful... Zac Efron's a beautiful man. You know, you saw him in Neighbors? The hunk. Yeah. You get why the girls loved Zac Efron, right? I get it. Zac Efron looks like a freak in this movie. (laughs) His face just looks like he ceased being human. Yeah. Like, you changed the construction of your body and your face, man, just for acting. Just to... Tell the story of Kevin Von Erich. It's a different world. That's cool. Actors are just as much freaks as wrestlers. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, they that's just as much of a sacrifice. And you hear about these actors 
taken six months or a year to prepare for a role or whatever it may be. It's like, I don't have the dedication to do that either. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's so easy for people to sit back and say like, oh, actors get paid $10 million for just pretending. It's like, yeah, you don't get it. Yeah. You don't understand. It's hard. It's hard to make a bad movie. It's hard to be a bad wrestler. It's impossible to be a legend. It came to this. Did mm. go see this movie? Go see this movie while yeah. you can. It's good in the theater for sure. Oh, that rush needle drop. Oh, there's for, nothing like it. For no other reason, you've got to see this rush montage. None of us are ever going to get to feel like what it what it what it feels like to walk into the Cotton Bowl to like. Neil Pert hitting his 36 piece. <laughs> like, oh man, we don't know. We don't know what it's like to hear Alex Lifeson shredding while you're just making out with every pair of lips you see. Some dogs will slip in there. <laughs> You'll get some dogs for sure. Mouth to mouth. At a certain point, man, you can't be indis- you can't be discriminate when you're walking to the ring. You got business to do. You're going to kiss whatever mouth wants it, right? Mm-hmm. Elvis kissed some dogs. Mm-hmm. That's what made the women want to keep kissing Elvis. He's not skipping ladies. If you want to see Elvis... It's a tough Elvis. job. Someone's yeah. got to do it. <laughs> I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. Thank you for listening. And good night. You were the family name with pride. Boldly you went forward. Did the things a lesser man might not have ever done A tornado from the Texas plains You came and changed our lives Now you're gone With the Lone Star State in blazing On your battle tards proclaiming you A native son with strength and love and pride You're our morning star that shines For one brief moment in eternity And all too soon God called you to his side